get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 701 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker here for the next three hours. And Michelle, happy Jeff Fisher Day. Right, Jeff Fisher Day. It yeah, is 7 9. 7 and 9. Oh, <laughs> what a beautifully mediocre day, Randy. It's going to be so mediocre here with uh, Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We have an exciting show planned for you. In fact, we're going to honor uh, the coach throughout the day, the most mediocre coach, we think. But we're going to have a little poll. We'll d- tell you about that coming up at 7.15. We're going to ta- talk to Greg Amzinger of MLB Network, our friend Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues Insider from The Athletic, also Kylie McDaniel, new baseball insider for ESPN.com, and Mark Sack- later in the show to talk about the Cardinals, who did work out again last night. And from what's happening now, four days of workouts, Michelle, the management of the team, John Mozeliak and Mike Schilt, seem to be pretty happy with what's going on. Well, I'm sure that they're pleased just to have the majority of the guys there and working out and getting back into baseball activities and being able to assess what they have been doing over the past few months. All of the information for testing is back now, at least this most recent round of testing, and every test came back negative. The Cardinals still don't have Giovanni Gallegos in camp because of his inability to get here from Mexico, and Alex Reyes isn't in camp, but they aren't telling us why. But they did say, well, shut up, phone. I was going to say, is that me? Is that's, that you? Uh, that's me. Uh, I don't know why, because it's on fine. There we go. <laughs> okay. I don't know who would be in. Nobody's trying to get in touch with me. Uh, I was going to say, is it Jeff Fisher? Is he upset? Oh, it could be. <laughs> why would he be upset? It's who he is. It's who. De- what defines him. And he has a lot of self-awareness about it. I always appreciate that cut from him from Hard Knocks where he says, I'm not going to go bleep in seven and nine. Because- oh, Randy. I don't know what's going on here. I'm going to just boat. I'm going to mute this thing completely. <laughs> I have it on vibrate. There we go. Now it's muted. See, I don't even know how to walk you through that because you don't have an iPhone. And no. I am so dependent on Apple products. I wouldn't even know where to start. You know, everybody in my family is dependent on Apple products, too. I'm the only Android Windows guy in my house. What a rebel. Yeah, and totally. why is that? You just you wanted uh, to be different? It's because I had it, and I just don't want to adjust. That's all. <laughs> I understand because that's the way I feel about I'm Apple products. Stuck in my ways, and they're stuck in their ways. And uh, nothing against Apple products; they're good. They're really high quality. In fact, my kids have had their computers forever. But I don't know. I just like it because I'm comfortable with it. I've reached a comfort zone. And at this point, why change? Right. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> just like Jeff Fisher when you when you really love hey. the ground and pound offensive of offensive approach. Why change? Hey, when we why throw, change? When we throw the football, it's going to be coming off a of play action. It's because we're going to be running the ball and playing great defense. All right, thanks, eighty-five Bears. Oh, great cool. team, but another, you can't do it anymore. Another mediocre season, great. <laughs> the Cardinals are not going to be mediocre. John Mozeliak kind of likes what he sees so far in camp. What we're seeing out of the players currently is a lot different than what you see in that first week of February or first week of camp in February. The, this this group seems to be moving, you know, lockstep ahead of that. And so really what you're hoping for to see is is that you're going to be game ready in two weeks because that's, that's the go button. So you can do that in a progression. It doesn't have to be tomorrow, but – what you're hoping to see is that can be built upon day in and day out. The players were working out in the absence of actually having games. Many of the players down in Florida, Michelle, were playing sim games mm-hmm. and getting together down at the facility down there. Obviously, players were staying in shape, and so they should be ahead of where they ordinarily would be in February because they're taking time off in November, December, January, usually, at least until the beginning of January. But it is good to hear that they're further ahead of where they ordinarily would be in spring training as they start uh, Summer Camp 2020, brought to you by Camping World. Thank you, Randy, for that plug. Honestly, you need to get some residuals from I'm going to talk to Singer about that when he comes on. Okay, good. I'm glad because no one has been pumping Camping World more than you, honestly. But it is good to hear Mo say that as we're watching the progress of their development, that it seems that the players are not only where they're supposed to be, but more importantly, that in the two weeks that they need to get ready, it's likely that they're going to get ready. And to your point, even though they're in a pandemic and they're not going through their normal routines, these are also professional athletes who have been checking in with their coaches via Zoom, via FaceTime, whatever it may be, and hopefully being held accountable, even though they're left to their own devices. And a lot of these guys, they've gone through uh, the spring training routine before. They've gone through the off-season training routine before. They know what they need to do to get their bodies physically ready to go. And it's nice to hear that it sounds like everyone took it very seriously. And we're going to hear more about Carlos Martinez as this show unfolds. But one of the things that he said last night, Michelle, was that in his last outing last Wednesday, one week ago yesterday, down in the Dominican Republic, he was throwing to Dominican players, one of them from the major leagues, but guys from his neighborhood in the Dominican. He threw seven innings and 95 pitches. You talk about ready to go. And we talked to Mike Maddox about his consistent communication with Carlos. It's good to hear that A, Carlos was communicating with the team, and B, he is about ready to go. This season felt different in regards to Carlos Martinez. We, we've we talked about this a few times, but I always go back to when he took the podium at the winter warm-up. He just seemed to have a different demeanor, a different attitude about him. He seemed to be taking the opportunity presented to him with a lot of seriousness, and he understood the responsibility that he had to get himself ready and to listen to what the team was directing him to do. And he had wanted to be a starter for a while, and even though we saw him have success in that bullpen role as the closer, if you're Carlos Martinez and you don't want to do that anymore, you want to be a starter, and the Cardinals are telling you, here's the checklist of things that we need you to do both on and off the field for you to be given that opportunity, it seemed like he crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's, and he's ready to go. I know you like being excited about Cardinal baseball. Yes. Last night, Mike Schilt was asked about how Carlos looked on Tuesday night when he first showed up. Very impressive. You know, everybody was really pleased the way it came out, sharp. Um, just very, very impressed by the the whole way he went about it. The ball was coming out, 
secondary pitches, command, the whole. It was very positive feedback. Very impressive with everything, and that's key. If you have command of your secondary pitches this early, and that was he had been cleared to participate two hours before that, that's really encouraging to hear. Now, I'm one of those people that in the absence of Jordan Hicks, I'll admit that I want to see Carlos in the bullpen, but it's not an easy thing to call because you'd also like to get those five innings a day, especially if he is built up. If you can get five innings every fifth day out of Carlos Martinez, that rather than one inning, three out of five every five days, that's a pretty good piece of property to have, especially as you head into a playoff. Absolutely. Randy, take it or leave it, though. Carlos's role on this team is now more dependent on what happens with Giovanni Gallegos returning than it is on what he is ready to do. I'm going to take that because they do want to give Gallegos and Helsley. Those are the top two guys. They want to give those guys an opportunity to close for a couple of weeks and maybe longer before Jordan Hicks comes back. I think it's kind of unfair coming off of Tommy John surgery to expect a guy to walk right back in and be your closer. Mm -hmm. So my guess would be that over the course of a couple of months, among Helsley and Gallegos, whoever grabs that first is going to hang on to it for a while if they're obviously successful. Point being, I I think when Hicks comes back, you ease him in, and if Gallegos is rolling with the job, just let him roll throughout the season. And I would love to see Carlos get that opportunity. I I love to hear that he sounded sharp. I love to hear that he had command. And you think about if this is his first outing with the team and this is how sharp he looks, imagine what he's going to look like in two weeks. So if if this is the carrot that they've been dangling for him, hey, you want to be a starter? Well, here's your opportunity. I hope he gets that opportunity. The Cardinals also announced a dozen minor leaguers are headed to Springfield for alternate training. Among those that are going to head to Springfield are Nolan Gorman and Matthew Libertor, the Cardinals' top two prospects behind Dylan Carlson. Malcolm Nunez, who's one of their really prized third-base prospects. Also, pitcher Angel Rondon. And a couple of pitchers, or a couple of players that were taken early in the draft this year, their first rounder Jordan Walker, second rounder Mason Wynn. And I asked John Moselock last night if this trip to Springfield will help assimilate those guys into pro ball. Well, I, I think the fact that it's such a diverse roster, um, you're going to have people down in Springfield that have played in the big leagues. You're going to have people down in Springfield that are trying to get back to the big leagues. And when you think about most players that get sent out to the GCL or Johnson City or State College, like we historically do with the draft, this is going to be a much different education than what they would have traditionally gotten. And in some ways, this might be a, a, a more unique one that, that you can prosper from. So I, I do think from that standpoint, it's going to be fun to watch how that, that those relationships, that communication goes. Uh, and as I've mentioned, uh, Jose Okendo is going to be running this. I mean, here's a man that's spent you know well over – probably three decades at the big league level. So right there, you have someone that, that has that type of wisdom and experience to share with these young players. So I, I really feel like from just like an opportunity standpoint from, from these young men, that this is something that you could argue is like priceless. I agree. And when you're a young kid, just out of high school, these players were drafted. This is a unique opportunity for them, maybe better than playing rookie ball against players that are of the same competitive level. I would think, as Mo said, it's an opportunity of a lifetime. And I have 
more confidence than anyone out there and Jose Okendo that given this specific construct and, hey, this is what we need to do, that he is the guy that is going to be perfect for the role to get these guys acclimated. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN. Coming up, it is July 9th. It is 7-9. It is Jeff Fisher Day. It's next on 101 ESPN. That is 7-9 bull****. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. I'm not going 7 and 9 or 8 and 8 or 9 and 7 or 10 and 6 for that matter. But the Rams have closed the season with three straight losses and a 6 and 10 record. I'm not going to settle for that. I know what I'm doing. We have some 7 and 9 bullshit. 49ers win it. Rams fall to 7 and 9 in the season. That is 7 and 9 It's July 9th. It's 7-9. It's Jeff Fisher Day. Welcome to it on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And we thought in honor of the former coach of the St. Louis Rams, who consistently went 7-9. His career was filled with 7-9 BS. Mm -hmm. We thought that we would honor him with the Jeff Fisher Awards. And you'll be able to participate throughout the day with your mic drops, with your... Your uh, texts to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. And we're also going to have Twitter polls up because we have today the honor of hosting the Jeff Fisher Awards here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Randy, would you like to run through the categories and the candidates in the Jeff Fisher Awards? I would love to hear that. And with the candidates for the Jeff Fisher Awards, here is... Former Jeff Fisher fan, Michelle Smallman. Former Jeff Fisher fan, Randy. First day when they gave out the mustaches, you can't tell me you weren't excited. I did. I was a former producer of the Jeff Fisher show. There we go. <laughs> you know what? I always liked Jeff Fisher. He was he was a peach to deal with. He was very kind to me when I was in the media. And, um, you know, it was a step up from the football we had been seeing. If we're, if we're being honest, it wasn't as bad as what we had Which previously. Was really bad. It was bad. <laughs> All right, Randy. Well, let's run through the categories of the Jeff Fisher Awards. First up, we have most meeky, the most mediocre coaches and managers award, Randy. Here are the candidates from Major League Baseball. We have Bobby Valentine, who managed 2,351 games. He had 1,186 wins, 1,165 losses, with a win-loss percentage of 504. He did lose a World Series. That record is eminently mediocre. That is what we're looking for today. Now, this next one in the NFL I don't love, but we have Lovey Smith coming in as our NFL option, Randy. 176 games coached, 89 wins, 87 losses, a 506 win win percentage. The Tampa Bay experience did not benefit Lovey or the last few years in Chicago, and that brought him to the level of mediocre. Hockey, Randy. Kind of a surprising candidate in her Brooks. 506 games coached, 
219 wins, 219 losses, a straight 500 win percentage. We would think that because he coached the miracle on ice, we would never consider him mediocre. But based on his NHL career, it doesn't get any mediocre, more mediocre than 219 and 219. It really doesn't. And rounding this out, Randy, what would the Jeff Fisher Awards be if we didn't have Jeff Fisher as a candidate for most mediocre coach or manager? 339 games. Coach Randy, 173 wins, 165 losses, and one tie. Mm-hmm. And he has a 512 win percentage. He's the essence of what we're talking about today. I hate to project a winner early on because we're going to have the winners later. But I think my opinion, I think if there's a lock in these awards, you just listed him. You know, Randy, I heard that at the polling stations, people are kind of checking in, getting the temperature, and everyone seemingly thinks Chef Fisher is going to lock this He's one up. pretty mediocre. Pretty mediocre. All right, our next category, Corey, most mediocre sports teams, Randy. And let's just run through these. Okay. We have the Cincinnati Bengals, the New York Mets, the Florida Panthers, and Missouri Tiger basketball. Yeah, teams that have given their fan bases hope over the years, maybe gone to the playoffs or the tournament, but never really gotten over the top and pretty much are considered either mediocre or bad. The Bengals under Marvin Lewis went to the playoffs every year. They were nine and seven. They were eight and eight. They would get to the playoffs and lose in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. The New York Mets have been to the World Series a few times, but they've also had a lot of incredibly average performances. The Florida Panthers in hockey, they never seem to have that first pick in the draft. They've been to a uh, Stanley Cup. Maybe before last year, you might have put the Blues in this realm. But the Florida Panthers are kind of uh, the expansion version of the Blues. And then you've got Mizzou Tiger basketball, where Mm -hmm. over the years, they've won some conference championships back in the Big Eight days. They went to some tournaments, a lot of tournaments, but they never really got over the hump. And I think especially adding in the last, well, this decade, this last decade, yeah, they're mediocre. That'll be an interesting vote. I think that might be our closest category Mm -hmm. when it comes to voting. All right, Randy, up next, most mediocre championship team. We have the 2006 St. Louis Cardinals, the 1983 North Carolina State team, the 2001 New England Patriots, and the 1985 Kansas City Royals. You've got an 83-win regular season World Series champ. That's the Cardinals. An 85-win Royals team from 1985. NC State, the lowest seed ever to win an NCAA basketball tournament. And the 2001 Patriots, who, well, they won the game, obviously. They won the championship. But I think if you look at that team, that was a really mediocre football team. And they, they had Tom Brady as a young... He threw for 145 yards in the Super Bowl win. They had some advantages, clearly, yeah. but they were a mediocre team. Mediocre team, elite video department. That Their video department was to die for. Everybody else in the NFL was hoping to get a video department that effective. That's right. Next category, Randy, most mediocre movies. We have Waterworld, the 1995 Kevin Costner vehicle, a 46% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I remember when that came out, and I was so excited until I saw it. And then? Yeah. Mediocre. (laughs) All right, how about this one? The 1998 Matthew Broderick film, Godzilla, 16% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, Michelle, as a kid, I loved the Japanese Godzilla versions. And I was thinking, okay, with new high tech, this is just going to be awesome. And they're going to recreate, but only better what I saw as a kid with Godzilla. (laughs) 
No, they they didn't even come close. The, my childhood Godzilla was awesome. It was great. Mm-hmm. The 1998 Godzilla with Matthew Broderick. Yeah, it it wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It was just there. It was there. A lot of comedy movies, Randy, I think, fall into the mediocre movie category. How about this one? 1996, The Cable Guy, starring Jim Carrey, 54% on Rotten Tomatoes. Don't you expect when you tune in or watch a Jim Carrey movie that you're going to be laughing uproariously? That's what you expect. That's why you buy the ticket. And with The Cable Guy, there was little or no uproarious laughter. As a matter of fact, it was kind of dark. So maybe because it was so unexpected, this has to be on the list. The last one. Along Came Polly, 2004 movie starring Ben Stiller and Jennifer Aniston, a 26% on Rotten Tomatoes. It did give us some great uncomfortable moments. And a lot of comedians say what makes great comedy is a level of discomfort. But there was no there there. There were a couple of uncomfortable moments. But was it, but was it really great? No. It wasn't great. It was mediocre. It was mediocre. Uh, when we were, by the way, with uh, movies like Dodgeball, you expect more from Ben Stiller. You really do. When we were workshopping some of these options here, I thought we would inevitably fall on an Adam Sandler movie. You think so? But then I realized none of his movies are really mediocre. They're either great or they're just bad. That's true. Yeah. And for a long time, he played the same character over and over and right. over again. All right, let's run through these next three categories, Randy. Most mediocre band or artist. We have Genesis slash Phil Collins. Around forever and had two good songs. Which were? Uh, In the Air Tonight and uh, Susu Studio. Oh, yeah. Great song. Dave Matthews Band, Nickelback, or Smash Mouth? Dave Matthews Band is a cult following, and it seems like kind of a love it or hate it, hate it type group. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Nickelback, uh, to put them here... To give them credit for reaching mediocre, I think we're doing them a great compliment. And Smash Mouth, once again, hey now, you're an all-star. Name another Smash Mouth song. Um, and that one's good. I can't. Game on. There you go. So that's And I don't even like that song. And they've been around for a long time. See, So that might make them bad for you, but takes them up to a mediocre level for me. But do I not like that song because it's a bad song or because I've heard it so many times? You've heard it a lot of times. I've heard it a lot of times. Which makes it kind of mediocre. That. That frustration makes things mediocre. Next category, Randy. Most mediocre foods. We have broccoli, rice, celery, or apple. This is going to be a tough vote for me. (laughs) I eat a lot of broccoli. I eat a lot of rice. Celery really is kind of a filler for me. We've talked about this before. With tuna salad, celery adds the crunch. I know you hate celery, right? Hate it, hate it. Uh, And then you threw in the apple, which is a really good call. Mm Mm-hmm. So I might, and explain your apple thought process here. So with broccoli, some people really enjoy broccoli. You're getting your greens in. Rice to me is a foundational vehicle. You're not just going to eat rice solo. You're getting rice as a as a portion of your meal to build upon. Mm-hmm. Celery, eh, could take it or leave it. I don't really love it, but a lot of people use it, again, as a vehicle. Throw some peanut butter on it. Maybe dip it in some ranch. You've got it as, it's got the scoop mechanism. Now an apple, Randy, an apple. If you had an entire table of fruit before you, you're not picking an apple last, and it's certainly not your number one overall draft draft pick. It's one of those steady middle round selections. It is it's very mediocre. Yeah, I, I'm. I'll take a banana. I'll take probably an orange before an apple, but I certainly won't take a plum 
or a prune Cantaloupe. or yeah yeah none of none, yeah really yeah. none of those before an apple so yeah it's just kind of sitting there in the middle all right, Randy, and our last category, and I think this one might be the most hotly debated Controversial. category. Controversial. Most mediocre month. We've got March, January, February, or November. Okay, March, you've got March Madness, but you're in the dog days of hockey. You're in the dog days of the NBA. You don't have any football. You, you, there's really no football news coming out. And the weather is... Aside from heading down to Florida for spring training, the weather is, eh, you've got some miserable days there in March. Mm-hmm. Uh, January, after January 1st, what's January, Michelle? Terrible. Yeah, it's, uh, and we both agree, hashtag winter's stupid. Hashtag winter is stupid. Uh, February, you've got Super Bowl Sunday, and then after Super Bowl Sunday, you've got Valentine's Day and the start of spring training. But uh, again, the weather turns February into kind of a miserable month. You do those that have the positives, the mm-hmm. Super Bowl and Valentine's Day, and that turns it to mediocre. Right. And then November. I love Thanksgiving. I love looking forward to Thanksgiving, but I don't like the circumstances around looking forward to Thanksgiving as we say goodbye to the fall, which I love, and head towards winter. The beginning of November, always great. The end of November, always terrible. Yeah. Balances so, out. Those are your nominees, and you can vote at Twitter, and we're excited about having you as part of it. And by the way, we will have our winners today coming up at 9 o'clock, and we want to celebrate Jeff Fisher Day with you here on 101 ESPN. That is 7 and 9 bold. Love it. Greg Amzinger, MLB Network, our buddy, is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is 7-9. It is Jeff Fisher Day in St. Louis. We always like to honor Jeff Fisher Day. We're doing so here with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN as we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and friend of the show, lead anchor for MLB Network, a product of St. Louis and the Lindenwood University. My buddy Greg Amzinger is with us on 101 ESPN. How are you, sir? You know, I like Jeff Fisher Day. Good to hear your voice, Randy. Uh, he's got a party in the back, had it for a while. Um, also, beard, but goatee at times, most of the time. Uh, so I'm feeling Jeff Fisher right now in my own life. That's kind of my look. I didn't know I was kind of a Jeff Fisher impersonator, but apparently that might be what I am. The thing is, you're way better than average. <laughs> are you saying that I would be better than seven and nine? Is that what you're saying, Randy, yeah. in life? Yeah, yeah you aren't about seven and nine BS. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy was a great football mind, though. I mean, he just could not get any traction. And the worst thing ever is when you, you, you just have mediocrity and then you leave. And I know Fassel, a fossil replaced him, but then McVeigh takes over and becomes like Wonder Boy. That that's what bites. That's what really stings you is when the next guy takes over and he's like a rock star, which was the case. All right, Greg. Um, I'm using BS as a transition here, so I want to talk about Major League Baseball testing and the kind of <laughs> storm that we saw over over the holiday weekend. What do you think is going on there? Do you think this is a situation that baseball is going to immediately be able to clean up, or do you think we're going to see some more kinks in the road as this testing kind of evolves? Oh, I mean, the stars kind of align in the worst way for Major League Baseball because it was a holiday weekend, like you said. So logistically, things can be more difficult. That's what they ran into. There are a couple of snags, and it happened to be the first major weekend to get this done in a smooth way. 
it's going to get ironed out. It has to get ironed out. There's just way too much incentive for these 30 owners to get this thing to the postseason. Uh, you know, at first, I, I thought, you know, all of these positive tests that were inevitable uh, and, and baseball's reaction to a lot of them would probably close this thing down. My feeling now, guys, is they're plowing through. And you could see things that are just dramatically crazy um, where COVID takes four or five starting position players uh, off of a team. And how teams – you know, Harold said it yesterday on MLB Tonight. We were talking about the Tampa Bay Rays. He's like, you know, there's no 25-man roster to look at anymore and go, who's got a better, who's got a better team? It's the 60-man roster. Who's got the most talent, one through 60? You're going to need all the depth you can get. And when you have a great farm system, the race of the number one farm system in the game, that's why they're kind of a, the sexy pick right now to, to go to the World Series out of the American League. It's a different sport. Yes, it's a sprint of 60 games, but it's the depth of 60 players you're going to need to survive this. Greg, I thought your breakdown last night in talking about the Rays was great. And I feel the Cardinals kind of do the same thing, but in, in talking about the different looks that hitters see throughout that Rays bullpen, that really would be difficult for a hitter to deal with if it's managed so that, obviously with a three-hitter minimum, so that those guys are seeing so many different looks during the course of one game. The hitters are, of, of the opposition are seeing so many different looks. It's a, I was blown away by it. Tom Verducci, who I think is the smartest man in baseball, uh, broke this whole thing down. And it kind of takes you inside the thinking of the Rays front office, which we always knew was outside the box. And I was blown away by it. My, my follow-up question last night is, wait, so there's a chance bullpenning has been taken to such a, a high level that you have different positions in the bullpen based on what your specialty pitch is. So to me, and it's all been done, such as a coincidence, but the Rays were looking for a guy with a wipeout slider. They don't care if he has no fastball command. They just want this one pitch to be a different look to the opposition. I have a four-seamer, a guy that can ride it up in the zone. And, and you know, he throws 88 miles an hour with that four-seamer, but it's such a different look. Uh, Alvarado, the lefty, he's got a two-seam fastball that he throws at 100 miles an hour that's got tailing action. It almost looks like a screwball at times because it's going into a left-handed hitter. So all of their pitches, all of the weapons that they have, it's not just dead brain heavers who are throwing 100 miles an hour. There are teams that were kind of looking for that. One of the teams just last year probably, two years ago, the Philadelphia Phillies brought all these young guys up in their bullpen, and we were like, whoa, the Phillies got a bullpen. All these guys throw 100, but they couldn't get anybody out. Everyone knew what was coming. It was up the fastball. That's all these guys can bring to the table. The Rays did things differently. They went to the scrap heap. They found pitchers that were cast-offs that didn't have a repertoire, but they had a pitch. They had one pitch that they could add spin to with their analytics department, and now they've got a specific weapon in that guy. And I'm telling you, what I've come to learn in the game is if the Rays are doing it, everyone follows suit. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I would not be surprised to see the Cardinals have a similar look and other teams kind of embody this, this, this ideology of we don't need finished products in the bullpen. We need guys who can do one specific thing for us and do it well. Greg, the topic of conversation today in St. Louis surrounds Carlos Martinez. If this was a normal 2020 season, we would see him make his return to the rotation, but it's not. He had returned to practice. Mike Schilt says he looks very sharp. He looks ready to go. He wants to be a starter, but there's a lot of people saying, hey, with Jordan Hicks not ready to go, with Giovanni Gallegos not at camp yet, is Carlos Martinez the guy that you slot in that closer role? So question to you, Carlos Martinez, would you use him as a starter or would you put him back in, in the closer role? 
I would put him in the closer role for now. It's the closer role is going to be incredibly important. Uh, blown saves will cost you the season. Bottom line. Now people are like, well, wait a minute. You got to get to the ninth inning before you even have a save opportunity. So you need good starting pitching. I don't think you're going to see a lot of guys going deep in games. I just don't think that's going to happen right away. We had this argument last night where, oh, the, the Max Scherzer is going to be throwing eight, nine innings right out of the chute. Well, maybe Max Scherzer because he's going to be 36 years old in a couple of days and he's not under contract till he's 48. You know, but Steven Strasburg's not doing that. They've made a huge investment in this guy. There are guys, these young Walker Buehler's not doing that. There are going to be young pitchers. Jack Flaherty, I love the kid. He's the best pitcher in the National League going into 2020, in my opinion. But I don't see him throwing eight innings until there's probably two weeks to go left in this in the season. I just don't see it happening. The circumstances surrounding the season were so odd, and baseball players are such creatures of habit. Their their routine has just been thrown out of whack. So I just don't think that's going to happen. I think Carlos Martinez needs to save games for the Cardinals, even though he's a top stepper. I've always called that. I've always described him that way. There are certain guys just you hold your breath, and he seems to be that guy in the ninth inning, but he's got the best stuff for that role if Gallegos isn't going to be ready to go. If Gallegos is back, I'd rather have him there. I still keep Carlos Martinez as a long man out of the bullpen. Make the bullpen a weapon with as many young, talented arms as you can. I think the starting pitching is good without Carlos Martinez. Greg, which good team is most affected by opt-outs? Is it the Braves with Nick Markakis, the Dodgers with David Price, or the Nationals with Zimmerman and Joe Ross? I would say the Dodgers, because David Price was going to be that extra. They, they were really going to put their finger on, on the necks and press down on the opposition with their depth of starting pitching. Clayton Kershaw is a future Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer. I just don't know if his dominant days are in the rearview mirror. Is David Price dominant? I don't know if he's dominant, but David Price in the National League, I like the sound of that. You know, I've been dying to see it. You know, this is a guy that's been in the AL East repeatedly his whole career. And we look at his the back of his baseball card, and we're like, ah, you know, he's, he's good. He's a left-handed Mike Messina statistically with more strikeouts. Wait a minute. Mike Messina was a Hall of Famer just happened to pitch against the best competition year in and year out. I think David Price in the National League was going to be awesome. I think he was going to be great. And it, that is a major blow to that team because they are the favorite of the National League to go to the World Series. They are built to do it. The other concern, and the other reason I would answer David Price, you know, his teammate and good friend Mookie Betts had made comments regarding David Price's decision. And man, I'm telling you, Mookie Betts, to me, it sounds like if he could do the same thing, he would. But he needs the service time to be a free agent at the end of the year. And if he opts out, he has a whole other year left, and that's a whole other year of age and his life, and that just costs you money, unfortunately. The younger, the better. So he doesn't seem like he's all in to want to play this year, especially with his good buddy coming over from Boston, David Price, opting out. David Price got his money. He already got paid. He didn't have to worry about another free agent contract. He's set. Mookie Betts, that's a different story. So to see the, the mental struggle after the Price opt-out, and he's the guy that makes Mookie Betts feel extra comfortable in his new digs, I would answer David Price is the one that's going to hurt the Dodgers the most. All right, final thing for Greg Amsinger. I want you to help out some of the golfers in our audience because you 
work with a lot of pitchers. You play golf with a lot of former major league pitchers. Pitching and golf are so similar in that you have to focus, whether it's uh, on mechanics and pitching and repetition uh, or mechanics and golfing and repetition and focus. And I texted you the other day that I, I started actually competing with myself and it made such a big difference. The mental aspect of golf and focusing in on every shot is what it's all about. It is. And what I've learned from the pitchers that I play golf with, most notably Dan Plesak, who is a three handicap, John Smoltz, scratch golfer. You see him playing golf channel all the time. He's been on the senior tour. Guys like that, it's the mix. It's the obsession of their swing mechanics, but they never lose sight of being athletic. So think of pitching mechanics. They've done it so many times on the mound. And while they have all of these thoughts that go through their head of how to duplicate and replicate their mechanics perfectly, they still remind themselves to be athletic as they go down the mound. To me, that's the most fascinating part about watching these guys play. While they do have thoughts, they never take their foot off the gas pedal when they throw their hands down at that ball with a pitching wedge. Like It is complete and utter trust. The amateur guys like us, when we're you know on a tight lie 50 yards away from the green, we're like, uh, we decelerate so many times. We don't trust our athleticism because the thoughts overtake our athleticism. Those guys are pure athletes first who then work on their mechanics, and they never ever lose sight of the fact that their mechanics will are as important as their athleticism. They throw their hands. If they chunk that, that, that 60 degree wedge, they don't care because they're going to be athletic the whole time. If I could do it, I would, I would bottle it up and I would put it in first class mail and I'd send it to you, Randy. It, it, <laughs> I, I struggle hey. with it as well, but it's hard to turn the brain off sometimes just be an athlete, man. And nobody will ever say Randy Carricker and pure athlete in the same <laughs> sentence. <laughs> swing bro no i like the way you got a good game man i'm telling you after the text the way you, you described it i was like randy's gonna be a single digit handicap here soon i'm telling you i'm, I'm working i'm uh, hey i gotta do something with working these mornings so it's golf in the afternoon <laughs> right a good schedule bro all right my man hey thanks so much for the time we always love talking to you and we'll see you soon all right you two the best talk soon thanks greg greg amzinger our friend from mlb network with us on 101 espn take it or leave it coming your way we're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. One of the great things about America is that you have that God given <laughs> privilege to vote. And on Jeff Fisher Day, you can go to 101 ESPN's Twitter page. You can go to M. Smallman on the tweet or on the gram. <laughs> and you can follow Randy uh, at Twitter. And you and I have both retweeted uh, at M. Smallman or at Randy Carrick. We both retweeted the poll for Jeff Fisher Day. And I'm on the Insta as well uh, at RJ Carricker. So we hope that you'll join us on our social media outlets. Fun fact, Randy, I was listening to a podcast with one of the co-founders of Instagram, and he was talking about how before Instagram was Instagram, it was kind of a check-in app, and the name was Bourbon. What do you like better? But now that we say IG, we talk about the Insta, gram. the gram, I just can't imagine it being Bourbon. bourbon. No. And it was something I, like BRBN or something. It wasn't spelled like 
the drink bourbon. I actually like being able to goof around with the gram or Me too. the Insta. Right. It's better. All right, time for Tioli here on 101 ESPN. Mike Ryder is in as our producer engineer today. We always enjoy having the, the great Mike Ryder with us who woke up, by the way, at 3.30 in the morning. Is that right? Three? Yeah, kind of. 3.30. What a gamer. Ryder. He's a grinder, this one. He sure is. And it's time for Tioli. Michael, what do you got? Happy 79 day. Take it or leave it. Jeff Fisher will coach again in the NFL. Good leave it. The NFL is all about young offensive minds now, and he's an old defensive mind. I'm going to leave it because after St. Louis wins this lawsuit, I don't see another franchise moving anytime soon. So Jeff Fisher's <laughs> services won't be needed. Great point. <laughs> Take it or leave it. Someone other than Carlos Martinez will be the Cardinals closer on opening day. Ah, this is a great question. And I am going to take it that somebody other than Carlos will be the Cardinal closer on opening day. I'm taking it as well. And I think it's going to be Giovanni Gallegos. I just think the Cardinals have, this is interesting. I think they have an appreciation for how hard Carlos Martinez has worked this offseason and the dedication he has to being a starting pitcher. And I think they want to respect that. And he, I, I think it's reasonable to say that there have been times where Carlos maybe has not been as locked in mm-hmm. as I think that's you, fair. you'd yeah. like. Mm-hmm. And I think that they feel like if they respect him and respect the work that he's put in, that he might be more locked in mentally. So on my podcast, Randy, my co-host Steve Cerruti, not a baseball guy, but I've convinced him to watch three Cardinals mm-hmm. games when baseball starts. And I've assigned him a favorite player. He, his, his new favorite player is Colton Wong. And so every podcast we tape, I give him Colton Wong fun facts. Good. And so one of the Colton Wong fun facts yesterday, uh, because Steve is a millennial guy and I knew he would love this, is that Colton Wong said, hey, I need to play every day for my confidence. This is something that I need, something that I need to have so that I can feel comfortable to just flourish in the way that I need to. And Mike Schilt honored that. He recognized that he needs to manage people in different ways to pull the best out of them. He gives Colton Wong that security. We see Colton Wong go out last year and have have a much improved season. We see that consistency out of him. I don't wonder if he's going to have the same approach with Carlos Martinez and say, I need to manage people in a certain way. And with Carlos Martinez, we have given him this set of instructions. He has followed it. Mm -hmm. And so I want to honor the the way that I need to manage him in order for for us to get the best out of him. And I think if you're the Cardinals, you kind of want to know, don't you, what you can get out of him as a starting pitcher? You've made the investment and and he has done it in the past. It's just a matter of staying healthy and being locked in mentally. So I I agree with you 100% in that Mike Schilt is probably the perfect manager for Carlos Martinez. Yes, and I think if you if you recognize what Carlos needs from a mental standpoint and you support him in that way, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him put it all together this year in that position. And coming up next, we want to hear your thoughts on Carlos Martinez, so leave us a Rhino Shield mic drop. Starter, bullpen, let us know, and we'll get to that next. Yeah, definitely. Now, this is something coming from our sister station, New Country 92.3 down the hall. Okay. A question they asked yesterday, do you say lightning bug? Over Firefly. Take it or leave it. Lightning bug over fly- Firefly. Yeah, take that. I say lightning bug. <laughs> Wait, I'm taking it because I didn't re- even realize lightning bug and fireflies were the same thing. So I thought they were two different insects. No, we used to catch them and put them like in a jar. Oh, yeah, same. But I just thought they were lightning bugs. I don't know why I assumed you, firefly would be something different, no. but they were the same thing. The, Someone says firefly? I think it's regional. It's Probably like soda is. and pop. 
you know, stuff like that. So who says fireflies then? Our friends to the north? So according to all the comments on their Facebook page, everyone said lightning bug. So it must be a Midwest thing that we say lightning bug here. Hmm. Oh, wow. Okay, 65780 if you've ever. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I've heard now the I'm term so firefly. Me too. But I just don't use it on a regular basis. And you thought it was something different. So maybe it's just a fancy name for lightning bug. I hope fireflies and lightning bugs don't feel pain. Well, when we catch them and put them in a jar and cut off their air supply so that we can watch them light or, up. Or uh, legend has it that if you uh, find a way to remove the little lightning part of the bug on the back, that it stays lit for a while. Legend has it, or a young Randy Carriker has tried it. <laughs> See, this might sound disturbing, but my mom and her friends used to make like bracelets when they were kids with lightning bug tails. See, there you go. Okay. Yeah. It's legend. Yeah. How do they do that? Run a piece of sewing string through the tail. and got to thread the needle. Yep. Pull the butt off and, and they light up. They, they stay lit for a while. Midwestern kids. So it is Jeff Fisher Day, Mediocrity Day. Um, we have our poll up on 101 ESPN's Twitter page. Um, someone's joining in on the bands. Take it or leave it. Prince, mediocre. Ooh, I'm going to leave that big time. He has done so much more. Not that he hasn't done a lot of mediocre stuff. I think everybody does. When you write that many songs, there's got to be a level of mediocrity. But his collection of greatness lifts him, I think, well above mediocre. Raspberry Beret, 1999. Purple Rain. I mean, we could go on and on. Yeah, we could. 1999. Now. I would die for you. (laughs) R.I.P. Prince. What a a sad. It's sad that he passed away. In an elevator, of all things. I have kind of a hot take question for the two of you. And this is going to be controversial. Okay. I don't even know if I should say this on a sports talk radio station. Seriously, this is this is a risk, but I, it's a question I need to ask. Guys, take it or leave it. Bruce Springsteen, overrated. Ooh. Every single sports writer in America would leave it? Right. This is why I am nervous to present this in this room and to our Scarecrow and Smallman community. I will say this. From a personal standpoint, let's just use the word mediocre, do I have a Bruce Springsteen song in any of my platforms? Whether, as we talked about yesterday, CD, mm-hmm. iPod mm-hmm. that I use when I'm riding my bike or working iPod, out, phone. It. Yeah, I've still got a little tiny iPod that I can wear. Respect, Randy. Thanks. It's just because I, phone's too big. I want something small. Is it a Nano? Uh, yeah. You clip it on? Yeah. Uh, well, I can just put it anywhere. Great. With my wireless headphones. So I'm going to say, from a personal standpoint, I'll uh, I'll go with you. Mediocre. Writer? I won't say overrated, but I will go with mediocre. I just think a lot of his songs kind of sound the same. Respect him. Respect the catalog. Respect his performance abilities. Respect what he stands for. Respect the E Street Band. But I'm just saying, a lot of the songs kind of have the same vibe. One more quick one. This is in the headlines yesterday. The Ivy League sitting out all fall sports. Are they going to be the last conference to do that? Uh, the the Ivy League will not be so I'm going to let's see the, the Ivy League won't be the last conference I'm going to take that that they will not be the last conference to set up all sports but it won't be a power five the next one to announce will not be a power five conference. okay um, I'm going to take it 
because I think we're going to see more individual programs sit out and make that decision before we see conferences do it. Yeah, I I could definitely see that. I think the conferences are going to wait until the last second because they want the revenue and they've got TV contracts that they're worried about. Mm -hmm. And I think if, I mean, let's say if you're the SEC and the majority of your programs are saying, hey, we're ready to go, they're not going to be the ones to make the call. But I think if you have three to five programs that say, hey, we're not having students coming back. We don't know how we're going to make this work. We think we need to be the responsible ones here. That's going to dictate right. what the conference is. Is Vanderbilt playing? No, Vanderbilt's not playing, right? No, I don't think so. so. But look at the, for example, the American Athletic. Central Florida and South Florida. You've got SMU. You've got Houston. Uh, you've got Tulsa, which has had a recent spike. Uh, you've got Tulane. Uh, how? There's no way that the American Athletic Conference can responsibly play in the fall. That's my opinion. You get too many hot spots. I mean, you've got the the biggest hot spots in the country in Florida. But as we approach college football season, who who's to say that other hot spots aren't going to pop up too? You know, I right. I mean, right now, yes, that's what you're looking well, at. But this thing is moving. By all rights, the SEC should not play. But are they? Do they understand that? No. Right. That's why I, I'm leaving it because I don't I don't think the powers that be are going to be the ones that make that call. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Thanks to Mike Ryder. And coming up, Carlos Martinez. Should he be a starter or should he be the Cardinal closer? We want to hear from you with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. You can send us your mic drops. You can also send us texts at the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Our fresh take on Carlos next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Guys, please, please, please make sure that Carlos is a uh, a starter. My heart cannot take him closing. Um, it's a, it's always his shakiest inning when he comes in amped up. Uh, the, the first inning that he pitches, please, please make him a starter. Chris with the mic drop using the Rhino Shield mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app. Joining us here on 101 ESPN. Yeah, he... Uh, he gets the 27th out many more times than not, but Carlos does make it exciting. Exciting is one adjective it's the entertainment to use, business. <clears throat> Nerve-wracking, stressful. <laughs> Some might call it exciting. We want to know from you, would you rather see Carlos Martinez in the bullpen as the closer or as a starter? And last night we asked Mike Schilt about Carlos and his desire to start and the work that he's put in trying to start yeah i appreciate respect it he's dedicated himself to his craft and, and has a goal which you know for the last couple of years we've had we've shared the same goal we just hadn't been able to align and so now it looks like he's got a much better chance to align he's put his time in and the effort in and the work in between that and all the things that it takes to to be a starter that you know look this guy's been a starter in two all-star games so just a matter of getting back to the dedication of his craft and making sure he can recover and, and handle the load. Of course, the load will be a little short this year with a shortened season, but, um, you know, it, it always starts with the player's mindset and mentality, and and um, we're here to support it. In regards to the player's mindset and mentality, how important is it? Mentality. Mentality. <laughs> I, I say mentality so much, right? Mindset and mentality for Carlos. How important is it for the right-hander to start? My mind right now is really good focus, you know. It's, uh, it's on time right now, you know. I mean, if I can throw, like, 
10 games, uh, seven games or whatever, you know, I don't care. Just uh, every time when I go to the mound, I'm trying to, to go to make my job, you know, and help the team, you know. So whatever happened or situation during the during uh, these uh, couple months, next couple months, and uh, I never gonna lose the the focus, you know. Just trying to help the team and, and whatever situation the the manager put in me and whatever game, uh, I'm I'm really I'm really really uh, preparing my mind for everything. That's exactly what you want to hear about mm-hmm. Carlos from Carlos Martinez on on two fronts. Number one, how he emphasized his mind and his focus and how seriously he was taking the mental approach to his job this year. That's something that we've talked about ad nauseum with Carlos Martinez, and so it's very refreshing to hear him identify it, recognize it, and say, hey, this is not this is going to be something I'm consistently going to be locked into for the entire season. But also to hear him say, hey, Whatever the manager needs, I'm going to do. Whatever the whatever is best for the team, I'm going to do. Because he could have very easily come out and said, I want to be a starter. I've wanted to be a starter. I have prepared as a starter. I have done everything they've asked me to. I want this opportunity. So for him to not only acknowledge the big question that's kind of been circling him other than his health for a while and say, I realize it and I've attacked it and will continue to attack it. But also at the end of the day, I'm here to win and I'm here to support my team. Kudos to him. Make no mistake about it, though. Carlos has prepared to be a starter. Last time, the, uh, my last uh, live EP was uh, last Wednesday. And I threw seven innings in Dominican. And, uh, you know, I'm, after that, I feel like really good focus, like really, really good uh, hurting and safety. And, and, and that, that was like 90, 95 pitches. So seven innings, 95 <laughs> pitches. I think he wants to be a starter. I, as much respect as we have, and I do totally for the fact that he said, yeah, I'll do whatever the team wants that helps us win. He really does in his heart of heart wants to be a starter. Seven innings, 90, 95 pitches. And he says at the end, and I felt good uh-huh. afterwards. I mean, it's kind of make you get a little excited, Randy, as a Cardinals fan. Well, Yes, we, we we are excited, but Mike Schultz says, let's not go overboard here. Yeah, we're not going to go seven innings, 95 pitches, um, but it's good to know he's built up to that, and um, he's got that he's got that in his tank, and, you know, we'll still be smart with him, but we know we can ramp him up according to what we see, but it's it's I'm impressed by him and all the guys. I mentioned this, but we're super impressed by Carlos, the way he's come in, been ready mentally, physically, and taking this uh, very serious during the break. I'm glad that uh, Mike Schultz said, yeah, we're not going seven innings, 95 pitches. Yeah, he immediately right out of the put shoot. the lid on that one, which is fine. <laughs> yeah. But to know that Carlos is capable of doing that has to get you a little bit excited. Yeah. A couple of texts. Uh, number one, I can if he can handle the role of starter, then start him. If we need a closer, he needs to step up and swallow the ego and help the team. And that's what he said. Mm-hmm. Go Cards. Also, a starter. Give him 12 starts this season. The Cardinals need a number two starter, and Carlos could be a great two. If Carlos is right, the Cardinals would have one of the best rotations in baseball. Think about that. If you have Jack Flaherty as your ace and Carlos Martinez as the starter you know he can be, what a one-two punch you have. And the way that I always approach this, Michelle, is thinking about the playoffs. Flaherty against Scherzer in game one. Who pitches against Strasburg in game two? You've got Dakota Hudson. You've got Adam Wainwright. You've got Miles Michaelis. But wouldn't you want to have a guy like Carlos at his peak against Strasburg in Game 2? Of course I would, but 
I'm still having a little PTSD, Randy, and thinking we need the offense to perform. It doesn't really matter who's right. taking the mound if the offense doesn't perform in that situation. But yes, I would like a peak Carlos Martinez to be the guy to get the ball that second game. Here is Sean with a mic drop on 101 ESPN. It's time to rip the Band-Aid off and see what Martinez can do as a starter. We're paying him too much to just close. And with the potential he has to be an ace or a flop, we need to figure out what he will be or won't be for the cards long term. And the only way they're going to do that to figure out his true worth is to throw him into a situation where he needs to prove his worth. So hopefully he's going to start. I do think at $10 million, five-year, $51 million contract, he's a bargain as a number two starter in your rotation. He's probably about average. I haven't looked closely recently at the, the money that... Closers are making. I know that the big time closers like Kimbrell and Kenley Jansen are making tons of money, but I think Carlos would still, if he performs at his peak efficiency as a closer, ten million dollars is not ridiculous for that quality that you would get for him from him. It's not, but when you think about value and investment, it's more than just monetary for the Cardinals. The Cardinals have invested a lot in Carlos Martinez, and there were many conversations that we had on this show or on these airwaves about should the Cardinals move Carlos Martinez, and they chose to keep him for one reason or another, and they made that investment in him. And so if you're the Cardinals, you you make that decision knowing that if you can get him to a certain point that you've got something very valuable within your organization. And I think they're looking at that from a starting perspective. They want him to be that guy in the rotation. And at some point, as our, our mic dropper said, you got to rip the Band-Aid off. Right. You've got to see if he's going to be capable of doing this or not. Let's get one more mic drop. This is Joshua on 101 ESPN. You know, Los gets the job done in that, in that closer role, but that 27th out, my God. I mean, he starts walking batters, hitting batters. It's just tense, man. My blood pressure goes up. <laughs> so I'd rather see him in the starter role. See, that's it. He's a blood pressure guy Yeah, as a, as a closer. As long as he's getting the 27th out, and he was really good last year mm-hmm. as a closer. I know that he had the one meltdown in Chicago and another one in the playoffs. But for the most part, he was right there with the other great closers in baseball in terms of save percentage. He was really good. But the the, the age-old question is, especially now in the age of the closer, is would you rather get five innings in a start out of that guy and ultimately over the course of a season, 190 innings out of a pitcher or 65? Not this season, but 190 to 200 or 65 out of that guy. And I think in most cases, you'd rather, almost in all cases, you'd rather have the guy that gives you a ton more innings. But the Cardinals are in a unique situation because of the injury to Jordan Hicks. But I also think you have to look at Carlos Martinez's injury history and think, mm-hmm. who who knows if he, I, we never want that, but I would certainly hope that he doesn't have another injury. And so wouldn't you want to maximize him from an innings perspective while you can? Yeah. You, you do. It's you, while you can. One other question. All winter spring, the team touted Martinez as a Cy Young level pitcher and the internal option as the top rotation, top of the rotation pitcher with Flaherty. What changed during COVID and who is taking his spot? What changed during COVID is you go back to if the season would have started in April, you have some time to figure out who your closer is. You can afford to lose some games over the course of 162 mm-hmm. as you as you determine whether it's Helsley or Gallegos or Reyes or somebody else that's going to be your closer. Now you're in a situation where one game equals three because you're playing the 60-game season. So he becomes, with his history and experience as a closer, more valuable in getting the 27th 
out. He's valuable in both endeavors. And my only question is, especially with no spring training games, who's going to prove to you or who has done it that they can be the closer? The only other guy on the team right now with in the absence of Hicks is Andrew Miller. So maybe that's the guy, or maybe you just throw Helsley and Gallego in, Gallegos in there and say, okay, well, it's your job. Let's hope you can do it. And it it really doesn't help Carlos's position that Reyes and Gallegos are the guys that aren't there to be evaluated right now. Yeah. Let me give you one quick note about the shortened season. Okay. And I think I'm right here. But in his first year as the full-time closer, 1997, Mariano Rivera blew five of his first six save opportunities. And Joe Torre told me I had to bring him into my office and say, look, you're my closer. I don't have a safety net here. You're my guy. Mm -hmm. And then Mariano went on and saved like 22 in a row after that. But that early in the season, you can afford to have that happen. That early in a 60-game season, you cannot afford to have what happened to Mariano Rivera happen. Now, would you like it to happen for the next 20 years? Yeah. What What happened? Yeah. But this is this is a season that can get away in a hurry. It's going to get late early. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. It's going to kind of be like, you know, a Carlos Martinez close. It's going to be <laughs> nerve-wracking, exciting. It's going to be crazy. Intense. Yep. That is our fresh take here. Thanks for your mic drops on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and we're going to talk some hockey with our Blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Our Blues Insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford, is with us on 101 ESPN. And uh, first of all, JR, thanks for taking some time with us. How are you doing? Anytime. Really well, guys. So you got to meet a couple of Clydesdales, I hear. (laughs) That was something. I just took the kiddos on a bike ride. I know you're big on the bike rides, Randy. And uh, we did part, I'll say part of uh, Grant's Trail. And we pulled up on the uh, Grant's Farm parking lot. And I turn, and it literally looks like opening day right in front of me. Just the Clydesdales. (laughs) You know, and and you didn't know when they were going to take off. And uh, the way I could see when that time was coming to get my video ready the guys in the white shirt, green pants. As soon as they hopped up with the Dalmatian up in the seat on the truck, I knew I better hit that record button. Oh, it's nice, JR. You know, considering we didn't have our Clydesdale moment for Cardinals opening days, it's lucky that you got to see them. Yeah, yeah. It felt like opening day. And, and uh, while they won't have uh, crowds down at the uh, Bush Stadium, who knows? Maybe they, they trot them out there for TV. Um, so, Jerry, I have a question for you about the uh, Blues here. So we know that a couple players tested positive for COVID and, and that we got the reports there. But do you have any information on, I know you can't reveal who had it or certain medical information, but do you know if these players were asymptomatic or if they're dealing with this in a more severe way? I'm just kind of wondering if we're going to get any information on the symptoms of the players and the severity of, of the positive tests. It's a great question. I don't have any detailed information on that. You know, when you talk to... Uh, sources, they they can't get into details about who's dealing with what. I looked at it as an optimistic uh, situation when they returned to practice on Monday. I got to think that if there were players w- uh, dealing with severe symptoms, that, that maybe they would have taken a harder look at it, Michelle, and, and backed off for longer than they did, just a couple days. Uh, so to my knowledge, nothing uh, that's severe. 
And uh, while they realized that there are going to be positive cases, uh, I was told that there wasn't necessarily a spike. It didn't get any bigger than it was last week. Before they get to the bubble, JR, are there protocols in place? Or is it still a situation where if a player tests negative two days in a row, that they can start participating again? Yeah, that's my uh, understanding is once they get the negative test uh, after the quarantine, they can be out. So, for example, not just the Blues, but I'm familiar with uh, some other players here in the St. Louis area that uh, tested positive, and they had to uh, go through the 14-day quarantine before they could uh, practice with their team. So uh, before they get out on the ice and they're around the rest of their teammates, they definitely need those negative tests. Yeah, I don't want to in any way indicate that the Blues weren't taking this seriously because we know that they were. Positive tests are going to happen with teams across the NHL. But have you gotten a sense from anyone in the organization that maybe the approach or the mentality surrounding, hey, we have to take this even more seriously is different when it hits that close to home and you have positive tests within your own organization? Yeah, because uh, everybody's probably you know heard some of the speculation that uh, players were out. And again, that doesn't just include uh, blues players, you know, you hear stories around the league about how some of the players maybe aren't taking it uh, as seriously. So, you know, I think now that you have a majority of the team in town, it feels for real. Uh, they're starting training camp on Monday. Well, you know, I couldn't say that for months and months and months. And now here we are uh, talking about a training camp practice on Monday. And then they're going to leave for the Hub City. I think uh, Alex Ferrario had Doug Armstrong on last night. And he said that uh, he feels once they get to the Hub Cities, they'll be okay. But it's going to uh, de- depend on these players looking each other in the face and saying, guys, I know that that's the type of lifestyle that we're used to when we're off. You know, that's our time. Uh, but we've got to look at the big picture here. And, and uh, so I think that you'll see some of that uh, behavior probably curb here as, as they get together as a team and realize how important this is. Our Blues insider Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic here on 101 ESPN. And JR here at the flagship of the Blues 101 ESPN. And I'll, I'll throw the Athletic and the Post-Dispatch and NHL.com, all of us, into this. We've kind of been negligent because we really haven't brought up Alex Petrangelo's pending free agency during the course of this season. And uh, now that the NHL salary cap is, and I, I'm just joking there, uh, the, the salary cap is staying flat. You wrote about the possibility of Petrangelo's free agency in at, at The Athletic. What does the flat salary cap do? I think it's tough, and uh, I did catch on to your joke there, Randy, but hey. With, uh, with Alex Petrangelo, it's a situation where pre-pandemic he was in line for a contract, eight and a half, uh, nine million AAV. If he didn't uh, want that, then he could test uh, free agency. Uh, but now it's a situation where instead of the cap going up to between 84 and 88 million dollars, it's going to stay flat at 81.5. As you mentioned, that leaves the Blues with about two million in cap space, and they have Alex Petrangelo and Vince Dunn, two uh, big contracts. Uh, obviously, Petrangelo is much larger uh, to get done, and so it's going to be. Uh, difficult. I've said this, uh, the word that I keep using is Doug Armstrong is going to have to be a magician to get Alex Petrangelo re-signed if indeed that's what he wanted to do. And I laid it out in my piece saying, you know, you can talk about buying out Alexander Steen, which the Blues don't have a reputation of doing, but it only saves $2.4 million. You have to trade Jay Gallen, 4.35. You might have to trade a, a Tyler Bozak or a Jaden Schwartz. That's how much salary you're going to have to alleviate from this payroll in order to get an $8, 9000000 million contract done. I realize that uh, in the situation it is, everybody's probably going to have to take less than what they did. 
I don't know where Alex Petrangelo stands on that. I just know that they haven't had any recent negotiations, and I wouldn't expect any until these playoffs are over. This is an unbelievable puzzle because the Blues have Petrangelo coming up in a couple of years, too. But the reason that they won is because of their incredible depth on defense. I think the fact of the matter is, I don't think that this is just speculation on my part, they can't afford to keep all that depth. Yeah, uh, you, you touched on uh, Pareko. He's got a couple years left on that deal, and he's at 5.5 right now. And we don't know what the cap will look like in, in a couple years, Randy, when he's due. But you got to believe he's putting himself in line to be a eight, nine million dollar player. It reminds me of several years ago when you had Alex Petrangelo as the big dog, and you had Kevin Shattenkirk playing so well as a number two. Obviously, at that point, Petrangelo uh, younger. Uh, and the better defensive defenseman, Doug Armstrong, was more willing to move Kevin Shattenkirk. He did. It worked out for the Blues. They got a first-round pick. And and Zach Sanford, I can't imagine that uh, they're even thinking along those lines with Colton Pareko. They're going to want to re-sign him in a couple years. But you do the math. If Petrangelo is an $8.5 million player, and let's just say Pareko is right there at Eight nine million. That's two defensemen taking up seventeen million of your eighty million dollars something cap. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how they approach that. Jar, I also noticed that they're talking a lot. The Blues are about Colton Pareko and his role as a leader within this team. Um, you know his role as a player rep in these negotiations and just what a great job he's done in communicating with his teammates, etc. Do you think that's part of the puzzle that they're looking at with Pareko as they look down the line here, thinking, "Hey, this is a guy that has great leadership qualities and could." send to that role even more over the next couple years? Yeah, I think it's a possibility. Um, You know, it's difficult for me to compare Petrangelo and Pareko because I think what they both do on the ice is terrific, and I think they're both uh, good teammates. Uh, You know, is Pareko the type of leader that Alex Petrangelo has turned himself into over the years, captaining the uh, Stanley Cup team? He did a marvelous job you know, trying to keep that leadership intact uh, the past couple of years. You know, is Preco that guy? I don't know. I mean, just because he's in the meetings with the PA and he's kind of asserted himself off the ice, uh, it shows some leadership quality for sure. Uh, I just think that if Doug Armstrong does decide to move on from Alex Petrangelo and kind of promote Pareko to that number one right side defenseman and a potential uh, leader for this team. It's probably going to be because of uh, cap reasons only, and they're just not able to uh, bring back Alex Petrangelo and uh, then also re-sign Colton Pareko in the near future. Uh, you know, Doug Armstrong, he, he just loves what Alex Petrangelo brings to this team, and, and I can't see a situation where he just uh, says, you know what, Pareko is going to be the guy for sure. Uh, let's make this move now and, and go ahead and, and have it not be related to uh, financial reasons. Finally, Jeremy Rutherford, you had a great Q&A with former Blue Chris Pronger, who has left his job with the Panthers to concentrate on a business that he and his wife Lauren have started here in St. Louis. Is Chris Pronger done with hockey? I asked him that question uh, point blank, and uh, he threw out the cliche, you never say never, but this is a big move for him. It really is. This is a guy, uh, Chris Pronger, we know in St. Louis, who wanted to be in management uh, post-career, and three years ago he goes to the Florida Panthers, and he's a special advisor and vice president of hockey operations. He does it for three years. He really threw himself into the job, Randy, uh, but he sees this opportunity with his wife to build this travel company, and for those who are unfamiliar with it, it's a luxury travel company. We're talking about V. VIPs and exotic vacations and just different things uh, that uh, they can arrange for these people to do. And so he said this is a long-term play. This isn't short-term. They're not going to walk away from it uh, in a year. And he said... uh 
whatsoever in terms of uh, hockey down the road. And and when I said, uh, do, you, do you miss it? And he said, listen, playing the game is nothing like sitting up in the box and doing management. So when I talk about missing the game, I'm talking about being out on the ice. Uh, I think I'll be okay not being up in the press box. Jeremy Rutherford, you're always great. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it, and we'll see you soon. All right, thanks, guys. That's our Blues Insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford on 101 ESPN. I'll miss Prongs up in the press box. I always enjoyed stopping by and saying hi to him. Yeah, it's always very cool when you're going to grab a water and you look over and you say, hey, there's Chris Pronger. Yeah, there's Hall of Famer, Chris Pronger. And I I think if the Blues would have offered him the assistant GM job when Martin Brodeur left, they promoted from within, they did the right thing in giving Bill Armstrong the job. But I, I think Prongs probably would have stayed in hockey had he gotten the Blues job. He has that much allegiance to the franchise and obviously will have his number 44 retired next season. Can't wait. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, it's The Fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to The Fight on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. In the red corner, the challenger. Average Joe Listener! Listener! And in the blue corner, fighting out of the mean streets of Creve Corps, the undisputed king of morning drive, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Randy Carragher! Welcome back to Carragher and Smallman here on 101 ESPN 835, which means it's time for the fight. And we have a good fight today. We have a returning fighter. Tom tied with Randy yesterday. Ty goes to the listener. So Tom is returning for his second chance at a victory over Randy. Tom, good morning. How are you doing today? Fine. How are you doing? Tom, it sounds like you're whispering a little bit. Are you hiding? (laughs) Who, me? No. Are you? I mean, you can tell us. This is a trust tree, Tom. Are you at work right now? Uh, yes, I am. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, we're going to make this quick then so that you don't get in trouble, and hopefully you have the victory so it's worth it for you having to hide and whisper at work, okay? (laughs) That's fine. All right, Tom, question number one. On this day in 1940, the MLB All-Star Game was played at Sportsman's Park in St. Louis. Which Cardinal started at first base and batted fourth for the National League in that game? Was it Johnny Mize, Stan Musial, or Jim Bottomley? Uh, Let's go A. Johnny Mize? Johnny Mize. Okay. All right. We got a group trying to buy a Major League Baseball team in Nashville. What is the name of the Texas Rangers AAA affiliate in Nashville? Is it the Sound, the Stars, or the Outlaws? Sound. All right, Tom. Who is Jeff Fisher tied with for the most regular season losses by an NFL head coach? Poor Jeff Fisher. That is seven (laughs) and nine bull. Some eight and eight in there, too. All right. Is it Tom Landry, Don Shula, or Dan Reeves? All right, yesterday marked the 10-year anniversary of LeBron's decision. And this fall, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach and um, join the Miami Heat. (laughs) Now, how many championships did LeBron win while in South Beach? Was it one, two, or three? Two. Oh, all right, Tom. Randy is in the hallway. He is coming in. Tom, how are you feeling? I know I got two, right? All right, well. You should feel pretty confident not to give it away. But all right, Randy is walking uh, in. I'll, I'll say so-so. It worked yesterday. Okay, good. Yes, let's keep let's keep that same energy. All right, Randy is here. Randy, say good morning again to Tom. Tom, welcome back. Good to have you with us. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you, sir. 
uh, Randy, Tom's at work, and oh, okay. so we're 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 whispering, we're keeping it at a low level, okay, but we're going to run through this so that Tom doesn't get in trouble. Good. All right, Randy. On this day in 1940, the MLB All Star Game was played at Sportsman's Park here in St. Louis. Which Cardinal started at first base and batted fourth for the National League? What position again? First base. Okay. Musial came up in 41. Um, at fourth. I'm thinking Johnny Mize. All right, Randy, a group is trying to bring a Major League Baseball team to Nashville. What is the name of the Texas Rangers AAA affiliate in Nashville? The Sounds, the Nashville Sounds. Randy, we know it's Jeff Fisher Day. Happy Jeff Fisher Day. Happy Jeff Fisher Day to you. Who is tied with Jeff Fisher for the most regular season losses by an NFL head coach? A guy who has coached in four Super Bowls, Dan Reeves. Yesterday was the 10-year anniversary of the decision on ESPN. And this fall, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach and um, join the Miami Heat. How many championships did LeBron win while in South Beach? Two. Not three, not four, not five, (laughs) not six, not seven. All right, we've got a winner. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! We have a winner. And still champion, Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Well, you heard Jack Buck's voice, which means Randy got all four correct. But as you heard Anthony, the man with the big voice, say... Tom, average Joe listener, not a, not so average anymore. Won again today. You guys both tied. You got both. You both got all four correct. So Tom, congratulations. Worth it for you to hide at work today. All right, let's run through these answers. It was Johnny Mize who started at first base and batted fourth for the National League in that 1940 uh, Major League Baseball All Star Game played here in St. Louis. The Texas Rangers AAA affiliate in Nashville are the Sounds, the Nashville Sounds. Dan Reeves is tied with Jeff Fisher for the most regular season losses by an NFL head coach. And LeBron won two championships while in Miami after the decision. Tom, congratulations. We will talk to you again tomorrow. Yes, yes, ma'am. I'm off tomorrow, so it'll be okay. Awesome. Sounds good. Chance for the Hall of Fame. Thank you. All right, Tom. Thank you very much. Chance for the Hall of Fame, Randy. Could Tom be the first Hall of Famer in the fight here on Caracron's Moment? Anything is possible. All right, KG. Well, I'm just saying. Anything is possible. <laughs> hey, uh, we still have the poll up, and we need you to go to Twitter and go to either 101 ESPN's uh, Twitter page or M. Smallman or uh, Randy Carricker, and we, ha- we all have the poll up, and you can vote on the Jeff Fisher Day Awards. And we've got some blowouts, but we've got some close ones, so we need you to vote <laughs> on the most mediocre coaches and managers in sports history, most mediocre sports teams, most mediocre championship teams, movies. Uh, and by the way, we got a tweet about uh, Waterworld being nothing short of exceptional. Oh. So a little uh, pushback on me- our most mediocre movies. Our most mediocre bands and artists, foods, and months. So uh, as we celebrate Jeff Fisher Day here at 101 ESPN, we want you to participate in the Carriker and Smallman poll. You know, I had a feeling Kevin Costner listened to the show, but now it's, it's good <laughs> now to have it confirmed. Know. Yeah. <laughs> Coming up, we're going to talk some MLB with Kylie McDaniel of ESPN. He's worked for four different organizations, and now he has moved over to ESPN+. Plus. Kylie McDaniel is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And it's a pleasure to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and welcome ESPN.com's Kylie McDaniel. Kylie has worked for four different front offices, the Yankees, Orioles, Pirates, and Braves in his MLB career and now making his way to media with ESPN. Kylie, thanks for taking some time with us here in St. Louis. How are you doing this morning? Doing great. I think we're overstating it with the celebrity part, but I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, just roll with it, Kylie. You're definitely a celebrity in our book. Um, so we know that you have a great handle on prospects in Major League Baseball, and we talk about a specific one here in St. Louis a lot in Dylan Carlson. In your opinion, do you think the hype is warranted? Do you think he's going to live up to what we've essentially built him up to be here in St. Louis? Yeah, so he's an interesting one because, um, as you guys know, like these days a lot of um, scouts and analysts will get in love with exit velocities. And he was one of those guys that coming into last offseason when I was trying to figure out, you know, how to line up the top 100 and, you know, who goes where. He was the guy that could go anywhere from 15 to 75. And after talking to some analyst types, they were like, yeah, it's not huge exit velocity. He's not going to hit the ball 115 like you know, Aaron Judge or Giancarlo Stanton. But there are a lot of guys that hit a ton of home runs that have like that innate ability that even though they're not hit at 115, they can hit at 107 in the right place or you know whatever the necessary uh, power is to get to it. And he's also a guy that doesn't light you up in uh, batting practice with raw power. So you just think, oh, this guy's just going to hit you know 20 home runs. It'll be like a little late power-wise for a corner guy. And then the more you drill down on it, the more you realize that there's like all those little skills at the plate that are hard to see until you get like, you know, a couple of years of performance that this guy might hit 280 with a bunch of walks and hit 25 or 30 bombs. And he's actually good enough to play center field if you need him to. So, yeah, I don't think he's like the flashiest guy. He's not the Luis Robert where it's just like all kinds of all-star level tools all over the place, but he does all the things you need him to do. Does uh, Carlson, is he better from one side of the plate than the other to your knowledge? Uh, a little typically uh, switch hitters will be a little better lefty because it's usually their natural side and they get more reps from that side. So that's, yeah, that's typically how it is. And also from the right-handed side, they get so few reps. It's hard to tell if they're uh, good, but yeah, it sounds like the swing is a little bit better from the left side, but not so much that it's like a huge uh, issue that needs to be dealt with. Kylie, there's a lot of other prospects that we here in St. Louis are intrigued by, Nolan Gorman, Matthew Libertor, et cetera. But when you look at what's going to happen this season, without those guys getting that playing time, do you think it's going to hold them back from a developmental standpoint? Well, yeah, the Cardinals are one of those teams where, like, every year or two, there's, like, that big prospect coming up. Obviously, Carlson is the guy right now, and there's not quite the payroll to just go out and buy someone every year. Uh, and even, like, the teams that can't do that, like the Yankees and Dodgers, you see that they're working in prospects on a, on a yearly basis. Uh, I was just looking through the uh, the sort of pool roster, like, not the projected 30-guy opening day, but the additional 30 guys. And the Cardinals might have the most, uh, like, the biggest concentration of guys that were on my prospect list for them in the pool. And part of that is because there's a lot of upper level double A and triple A guys that are sort of the inventory type talent. Uh, but then also there's a lot of guys like, I mean, the recent first round picks out of high school, uh, Jordan Walker, second rounder and Mason Wynn, uh, Gorman, who I don't think anyone expects to play in the big leagues this year, last year's first round pick out of college and Zach Thompson, uh, Libertor, the uh, big guy in trade from Tampa Bay guys that are not going to pitch in the big leagues or play in the big leagues this year, unless something goes really wrong. And in a normal season, they would not have made the big leagues having them on that roster 
uh, allows them to get those reps. And like you were saying, like this is a team that relies on these guys, has good development, like they know how to pinpoint who the guys are. Um, having those guys in camp is more important than having your 57th guy in your pool be a minor league free agent that's not going to be here next year that's, you know, played in the big leagues in AAA for five straight years. Like having these guys there and getting them experience is more important for most teams, and it seems like the Cardinals have figured that out. ESPN's Kylie McDaniel is with us on 101 ESPN. Kylie, from a front office perspective, I want to talk about that Springfield camp, and every team is going to have that minor league camp. But without the presence of games, what are you hoping to accomplish with young players in a camp like this? I mean, it's going to take probably a month to just get them like up to playing speed because, you know, similar to you know NFL camp, if you have a guy and getting third uh, team reps, like they're not going to be ready to like uh, when they need to get thrown into the, the battle. And so obviously, you know, guys like Libertor, Trey Fletcher, Gorman, those sorts of guys, it'll take them a month to get them up to speed. And then with sort of, you know, you'll be limited by how many arms you have, how many sim games you can play and all that sort of thing. Uh, but this is actually something that's happening like, more and more in baseball with teams talking about like getting rid of some of their minor league affiliates having more of the development happening in non-game situations at the minor league spring training home um, to have, uh, you know, more, hey, we need to work on this guy's, you know, plate discipline rather than just playing a ton of games. Why don't we put him in, like, specific situations where we're going to, you know, shoot tennis balls at him and he has to yell out what it is or, you know, do a, a swing with, like, a lighter bat and maybe with a baseball, but, like, yeah, out of a pitching machine, like, figure out ways to pinpoint the thing they need to work on. And so I think when they get up to speed in terms of, you know, being at uh, playing shape and, um, you know, ready to hit 90-plus and all that kind of thing – uh, there's going to be a lot of that, like targeted stuff, which I think is another example where the teams that are really good at player development have another chance to separate themselves. Kylie, when we look at the future of prospects in minor league baseball, we know that this is a lost season for them, but and I know this is a, a difficult question to answer, but how do you think major league baseball is going to approach that moving forward? Because this is something they really need to to figure out. Uh, they've made it pretty clear. They're looking at it pretty cynically, uh, which is, I think they realize we as, as a group, the 30 owners, they wanted to cut costs uh, and they saw, hey, we've got all these minor league teams and like half of these teams are guys that we don't think are going to make the big leagues. So why don't we cut a couple teams and then basically cut the players that we don't think we're going to make the big leagues and make the minor league teams like more concentrated with prospects, which on space, you're like, OK, that makes some sense to be like more efficient. And they get to, you know, the teams will save roughly a million, maybe two million dollars per team per year just not having to, you know, get on a bus and buy uniforms and all that kind of thing. Um, and then what they're essentially doing is cutting spots on minor league rosters, and then those players just go to college, essentially. Like, you're outsourcing the development of your players to college, and instead of signing that, like, shot-in-the-dark uh, $150,000 high school player in the 20th round, you just let them go to college, and of the five guys you were considering there for 150000 you let them all play, and then at the end of those three years, you give one of them 500000 and the other ones just get left out of pro baseball. So on its face, I mean, a lot of these minor league teams are talking about are losing money, and so they're being subsidized by the owners. If you just look at it like cold economics, it makes sense. Uh, but you're also, you know, taking baseball away from small town America. Like the developmental prospect uh, is less and less of a thing. And there's a lot of players that you know can't get a full scholarship to go to college, and so pro baseball was like their chance to get some money and get some reps and get a chance. And now there's going to be less and less of that, which means that fewer and fewer players will have the incentives to play baseball when they have the options to play multiple sports at like the D1 or pro levels. 
Um, and all of that to save like a million or two dollars when we know from all this research that like one prospect is worth five to ten million dollars. So if you're good enough to find one prospect and all of that extra infrastructure, it's paying for itself a couple times over. But the owners just see it as saving money. So that's uh, a little disappointing, and especially if they're going to be outsourcing this development to colleges and the colleges don't get football this year, there will be fewer college baseball programs, maybe many fewer, and they will all have less money regardless of whether there's football or not. So uh, it seems like a bad plan, if you ask me, but it doesn't seem like that's going to stop them. And Kylie, I know the percentages of getting a, a great player out of uh, some of those teams, like you say, the, the, the big leagues feel like certain players aren't going to be prospects, but we can just look at it from a Cardinal perspective. The Cardinals were on the fence. There, there was one guy uh, in the Cardinal organization that protected Tommy Pham a few years ago when he was hurt. And if it wasn't for that one guy, Tommy Pham would have been cut. And I have to believe in this scenario, no other team would have picked up Tommy Pham he would have never made it to the major leagues. Ryan Ludwig had injuries. He was a six-year free agent. A guy like John Brebbia, who's been productive for the Cardinals. I don't think John Brebbia sees the major leagues with the minor leagues are going to the way they're going to be set up now. It seems like from the standpoint of actually winning and having productive players, this is not a good move for Major League Baseball. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, like the owners, would say, oh, well, those guys would go play independently for a year or two. We would sign them anyway. They would get to the upper minors, and what we're talking about won't affect those upper minor spots. Those guys will still hang around and have a chance. Um, but what they're not realizing is the Matt Carpenter or even Paul Goldschmidt as amateurs were signed after the fifth round mm-hmm. for not very big bonuses. That this, if, it, you know, if this year was their year to sign, they would have been offered $20,000. What if they have an offer to go make $40,000 working in like insurance or at a car rental place at home? Like some of them, maybe they don't go play independent baseball and make like very, very small amounts of money. Like we're talking like less than $10,000 for the whole season. Uh, for some guys, it's just like a financial reality. They can't afford to go through that whole even even worse paid uh, independent leagues to hope that they get uh, found and then given the spot that they probably should have gotten in the first place. Uh, a lot of guys get left out. And what if there's a couple all-star level guys that get left out? Because I've had this conversation when I go to the Dominican. There is like a never-ending stream of 18, 19-year-old pitchers that throw in the low 90s with a good breaking ball. But the math that teams do is, oh, well, we can get that guy from a junior college that's the exact same talent. He doesn't need a visa. He doesn't have to come through the Dominican. It's like less transaction cost there. And they're both not going to make the big leagues. They're both going to pitch in the minors for two years and get released. Um, and so those guys aren't getting signed out the Dominican. And I asked this guy one day, I was like, how many of these guys that, you know, we're looking at one of them right now, uh, you're saying he's not going to get signed. How many of these guys, if there's a hundred of them, would have made the big leagues? He's like, oh, like one in a hundred. Like, you know, there's some big leaguers we're missing, but they're, you know, sixth inning middle relievers. Like they're not like impact guys. And I was like, if we change the draft to be five to 10 rounds forever, like we might be missing all-stars at that point. We would have missed out on Albert Pujols. Yeah, there's all kinds of guys like that where they they look like they were extra guys nobody really wanted, uh, but there's all kinds of guys in that area that end up being big-time players. And there's some that just end up being decent big leaguers. They just just don't get a chance to emerge because of the the way the sport is setting itself up. ESPN.com's Kylie McDaniel. Before we let you go, you do have a book out called Future Value, The Battle for Baseball's Soul and How how Teams Will Find the Next Superstar. You wrote it with Fangraph's Eric Longenhagen. How's the book going? And uh, in a capsule, 30 seconds, what can we learn from it? Yeah, no, it's uh, sales are going well. Uh, the pitch was uh, when Moneyball came out 15 years ago, the book, uh, scouts thought they were going to get replaced by analysts and turn out the opposite happened because the numbers we had then weren't good enough to replace a scout. 
now with all of the stat cast track man, all these sorts of things, the numbers are there that some teams think that it is good enough to start replacing scouts. And I think especially with the pandemic, which obviously isn't covered in the book because it came out earlier. Um, the idea is that what was happening in baseball will get accelerated. And so now we're seeing teams possibly cutting like the angels, like just cutting all of their scouts because they think that they don't need as many guys at games. And so the book covers like how to scout all the different uh, stories from scouts, signing players, and then also like where the stats come from and the different sort of points of view of, around the game. And you can kind of decide for yourself about, you know, where things actually stand. The name of the book is Future Value. Kylie McDaniel of ESPN is one of the authors. Hey, we appreciate you taking some time with us. We enjoyed it. Hopefully we can do this again. Yep, sounds good. I'll get on that celebrity line whenever you want. <laughs> All right, Kylie. Take care. Have a great day. Yep, you too. That is Kylie McDaniel of ESPN with us on 101 ESPN. That book sounds interesting. It does, yeah. And the sport has moved beyond Moneyball, hasn't mm-hmm. it? When you talk about teams literally cutting all their scouts, and I'm an advocate of scouts. I'm a big fan of, and I think if teams were, and I know you aren't allowed to get more minor league teams, like the Cardinals, back in the 40s and 50s, they had like 30 minor league teams. And now there's a limit to how many teams you can have in America. But if I could, if if I were a team, I would hire a bunch of scouts. I would add a couple of teams, find a way to work my way around to add a couple of teams, and load up on prospects and try to find those gems that we're talking about, the Ludwigs, the Fams, the Brebbias of the world, that they aren't the superstars necessarily, but they help you win. And metrics can only go so far. You know, that that can't really project who a guy is or, or what he's made of. You know, men, not machines, right, Randy? Watch out for that Nashville team if it gets going. Because they're, they're, yep. they're going to have men, and it's not going to be driven by machines. Next up, we've got today's big thing. We're going to give you the results of the Jeff Fisher Awards on this 7-9. <laughs> it's July 9th. It's 7-9. It's Jeff Fisher Day in St. Louis on 101 ESPN. That is 7-9 bull****. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. I'm not going 7 and 9, or 8 and 8, or 9 and 7, or 10 and 6 for that matter. So the Rams will close the season with three straight losses and a 6 and 10 record. 7, 8 and 1 two years ago, 7 and 9 last year, 6 and 10 this year. I'm not going to settle for that. I know what I'm doing. We had some seven and nine bull this morning. 49ers win it. Rams fall to seven and nine of the season. That is seven and nine bull. <laughs> Happy Jeff Fisher Day. In St. Louis on 101 ESPN, where it's 9.03. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And the results are in for our Jeff Fisher Awards show. Michelle Smallman will have our winners. We'll start with the first category, most mediocre coaches and managers. The candidates, Bobby Valentine from Major League Baseball, Lovey Smith from the NFL, Herb Brooks from the NHL, and Jeff Fisher from the National Football League. Michelle. Randy, let me get the awards here. Okay, Randy, in a landslide. I mean, it wasn't even close. The winner of the most mediocre coach or manager in sports is Jeff Fisher with 76.6% of voters <laughs> casting their vote for Jeff Fisher. It is Jeff Fisher Day. He's the guest of honor. You kind of saw this one coming, am I right? We did. The candidates for most mediocre sports teams, the Cincinnati Bengals, the New York Mets, 
the Florida Panthers, and Mizzou Tigers basketball. All right, Randy, opening our envelope here. The most mediocre team in sports, Randy. Coming in with 46.1% of the votes, the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, congratulations to Cincinnati. Making the playoffs pretty much every year in the last few years they had Marvin Lewis as their coach, but never winning a playoff game. They were outstandingly mediocre. Do you think Andy Dalton then certainly gets some some conversation points here and the most mediocre quarterback over the past few years? He has to fit into the conversation. He does. The most mediocre championship team ever. The 2006 St. Louis Cardinals, the 1983 North Carolina State Wolfpack, the 2001 New England Patriots, and the 1985 Kansas City Royals. Randy, the winner for most mediocre championship team is, with 36.2% of the votes, the 1985 Kansas City Royals. Oh, congratulations to the Royals with Buddy Biancolana and Steve Bye Bye Balboni, who won simply because of an umpire's call. Congratulations to those 85 Royals. The runner-up, Randy, the 2001 New England Patriots with 28% of the votes. Fitting. And we should note today that one Michelle Smallman is wearing a 1985 St. Louis Cardinals World Champions t-shirt. I am. I got it at a vintage store. That is vintage. What could have been? What could have been? The candidates for the most mediocre movies of all time from 1995, Waterworld. From 1998, Godzilla. From 1996, The Cable Guy. And from 2004, Along Came Polly. Randy, your winner on this Jeff Fisher Day for most mediocre movie with 28.1% of the votes is... Waterworld. Oh, 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 congratulations to Waterworld. I really thought that Along Came Polly had a great opportunity there. That was an entrant that was nominated by Michelle Smallman. But Waterworld, epically mediocre. Congratulations to Kevin Costner. He has done several mediocre movies in his time. Is he the most mediocre actor of that generation? He must be considered that. But Nicolas Cage is right there on his heels, right? But Nick Cage has that cult kind of following. He He's got the internet thing going. Kevin Costner. <laughs> the most mediocre band or artist. The combination of Genesis with Phil Collins and Phil Collins as a solo act. So let's just throw Phil Collins in there with Genesis. The Dave Matthews Band. Nickelback and Smash Mouth. Okay, we are opening the results here, Randy. Wow, this is a surprise for me. I'm not going to lie. The most mediocre band or artist, 39.1% of the votes, Randy. Nickelback is your winner. Wow, that's a compliment to Nickelback. It is, honestly. Congratulations, Nickelback, because I think most people voting wouldn't have chosen Nickelback because they just say they plain suck. They're terrible, right. Dave Matthews' band has a great cult following. Yes. A great fan base. We'll we'll give them that. Jenison and Phil Collins did a ton of music for a long time, but maybe only two or three good songs. Yeah. And the same with Smash Mouth. Smash Mouth maybe might have one good song that we maybe know. Two. Yeah. So congratulations to Nickelback. They've ascended to mediocre. You know what? This is a day that Nickelback's going to circle on the calendar and celebrate. They're, they'll be happy. Seven they and nine, pumped. Jeff Fisher Day. Yes. The most mediocre food. Our nominations are broccoli, rice, celery, and apples. Randy, again, this wasn't even close. The winner for most mediocre food, 54.9% of the votes. Celery is your winner. 
celery is amazingly bland and not something that you would pick up as part of a staple. I can see why celery, it tastes mediocre. It doesn't taste like anything. Tastes like water. I can see why we would call it mediocre. So congratulations to celery. Congratulations, celery. I thought you were the nickelback of food. So this is a win for you. This is a W. And for the most mediocre month, the nominees are March, January, February, and November. All right, Randy. Our last winner. Who is it going to be? The most mediocre month, 52.3% of voters say it is February. I'm on board. I would have voted for February. And it's interesting that we do have January, February, March, the first three months of a typical year. But uh, February, yeah. I mean, it's sure sure you have Super Bowl Sunday, which is fun. You have Valentine's Day, which can be fun. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, what else? A lot of snow. Yeah. And winners, stupid. So stupid. So congratulations to all of the winners on the Jeff Fisher Awards show on this 7-9 of 2020. That is 7-9 bull****. <laughs> Coach, we love you. We really do. I'm sure he's fishing today. It's, it's a nice summer day. Yeah. And he didn't go 7-9 and nine every year. He had a 7-8-1. and one. He had a 6-10. and ten. Some 8-8s eight in there. Right. So... Never here, but no. he was able to pull off a lot of eight and eight. So, uh, but seven and nine was the typical season for the coach. And uh, he's got to be proud to have an award show named after him, doesn't he? You know, when you look back on your career, he had that. <laughs> he has a lot of things that he can look back and be proud of. But I think how many people have a day named after them mm-hmm. and an award show named after them? And one loss away from history. All he needed one to do loss. was coach one more game and he could have had the record. He could have been somebody. He could have been a contender. But don't you think it's even more Jeff Fisher-ish that he didn't get that? That he wound up with a tie. That he wound up with a tie. It's epic. <laughs> it's Character and Spalman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. Stick around. It's next. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. And Michelle has prepared vigorously, and we are ready for... You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, ESPN put out a poll. They conducted it with 50 NFL personnel members of their top 10 quarterbacks this upcoming season. Who would you say? Who's in your top four? I am going to go with Patrick Mahomes. Okay. I'm going to go with Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. I will still go with Drew Brees. And my fourth, let me just uh, bounce around here. I, I can't imagine that they would have put Brady in there. I'm going to... I'll go Matt Ryan, I guess. Okay. Well, according to these 50 NFL personnel members from the poll conducted by ESPN, here's an order. They're top 10 quarterbacks this upcoming season. Okay. Coming in at number one, Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Number two, Russell Wilson. Oh, I forgot Wilson. Yeah, okay. Legit. Number three, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Fair. No, number four, Deshaun Watson. Ooh, mm-hmm. interesting. Number five, Drew Brees. Okay. okay. And we don't get to Lamar Jackson until number six. Lamar Jackson's in my top three. I would put Wilson up there. And then I would have 
I would have Mahomes, Wilson, Lamar as number three based on recent events. Based, you would think after last season that you would certainly yeah. have Lamar higher in the conversation. Um, and then rounding out the top 10, they have Tom Brady at number seven, Carson Wentz at number eight, mm. Dak Prescott at number nine, and Matthew Stafford as, at number 10. So the uh, the highest paid guy still this year isn't even in the top 10? Mm-mm. Where's our friend Jared Goff with Mm-mm. all that? Uh, Not even in the top 10, Randy. Ouch. feel bad about that. Do you? No, not really. <laughs> huh. So no Kirk Cousins either. So I, I think that they did well aside from for this season, based on what we saw last year, I would take Lamar Jackson. I can see, go back to Bill Polian's comments about how last year he didn't even vote for him for MVP when it, I thought it was so clear. Maybe there are uh, still a lot of old school NFL personnel guys that don't appreciate the fact that it's turning into a game where a quarterback can run the ball. Maybe that's one way you could look at it, but you would just think that if you're if you're having this specific conversation of heading into next year, mm-hmm. this isn't who do you want to start your franchise with? This isn't who do you think is going to be durable five years from now? Right. The question was top ten quarterbacks this, this upcoming year. season. Yeah. So you think even if you had maybe some of those reservations, or that's still the lens that you looked at the quarterback position through, that you would still say. Based on what we saw, record-breaking season last year from Lamar, he's definitely in the top three, top four of this conversation. And I believe, and I know this is semantics, I think the two best are Mahomes and Wilson, but I think the two most dynamic are Mahomes and Jackson. If I'm going into a game, I love all the things that Lamar Jackson can do to help me win a game. Drew Brees can't run. Tom Brady can't run. Matt Ryan can't run. So the fact that Jackson can run, I like his chances to win me a game more than most of the people on that top 10 list. So do I. Were you surprised that Matthew Stafford rounded out the top 10? No, people still like him. And that's what I'm talking about with Mm -hmm. the talent Mm -hmm. evaluators. They still like that drop back guy who does more times than not win the Super Bowl. But the game has evolved. It's a different game now. Where do you put Matthew Stafford in uh, the conversation on Jeff Fisher Day? As far as his career. He's the quarterback for Jeff Fisher's team on Jeff Fisher Day. Right? Yeah. I, I think that he's perfect for that role. Kerry Collins was the perfect Jeff Fisher quarterback, but he won a bunch of games for him, so it wouldn't fit. <laughs> You're killing me, Small. All right, Randy. Patrick Mahomes did uh, top that top 10 quarterbacks list for this upcoming season, and we know that he just got that record-breaking contract. A lot of money on the line for the Kansas City Chiefs, so you know that in that contract, there's some language to protect him physically. And our guy basically can't do anything from a physical standpoint other than play football over the next 10 plus years. They were asking him about it and he says, quote, I still don't think I'm allowed to play basketball. I'm sure baseball is not going to be allowed as well. I know there's a lot of them in there, things that he can't do. They have like everything from jet skiing too. I don't know what all the things are. I read a lot of them. It's pretty much every physical activity you could possibly do. I'll probably be sticking with football and video games for now. <laughs> Poor guy. And his dad was a major league baseball player. So I wonder if he can even go out and have a catch with his dad. Patrick Mahomes Sr. If you're writing those checks, I'm saying unless it is a direct football activity, you, from a physical standpoint, you are not doing anything else. So he's going to be lounging around or working out for football. And I I would hope that he can at least get out and play golf or something. I'm sure that they don't let him ride a bicycle, let alone a motorcycle. But uh, I give it up for half a billion for 10 years. Golf? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. Well, no, but uh, the physical activities that he's giving up. 
But what if they included golf in there? Would you do then, that? Yeah, for a half billion. Yeah, yeah I, would. I was going to say, please put those clubs in storage. Yeah. I, I will save myself the mental anguish. I'll break for the them out later. Time. I can play Golden Tee. Yeah. And think about all the golf. You could buy a golf course, Randy, for your post-playing career. That's true. So, yeah, I'll, I'll do that for half a billion. Yeah, you even talked about it yesterday. That that's what you would do with the money. I, I would. So, you know, and if, if you're Patrick Mahomes, as much as you would want to jet ski on your vacations or pay, play pickup hoops, come on. As a fan, if my quarterback is jet skiing, especially after what almost happened to Lamar. Uh, right. I'm, I'm going to be upset if he's jet skiing. You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, whenever I see a headline about Tom Brady being in some hot water, we include it in this segment. Oh, yeah, he's a cheater. Well, people are really upset with him because, you know, we're getting uh, names of companies that received PPP loans during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it was revealed that TB12 received a PPP loan from the government. It fell between the $350,000 to the one million tier of loan payments for companies who have been looking for help during this coronavirus pandemic. That is absolutely preposterous. It's unbelievable that A, his company, but B, he as an individual would even apply for it. His wife made $38 million a year for a lot of years. He, even though he's taken less, has made ridiculous amounts of money in the NFL. He's made a lot of money with that TB12, and there's absolutely no good reason for real small businesses to be deprived of one of those loans when his company gets one. It's ridiculous. And you would think, too, at this point, that if you're Tom Brady and you do that, that you know that that's going to get out at some point. You'd think so. You would think so. It was just very surprising to see TB12 listed in the list of companies. This is right there for me with Ruth's Chris getting theirs. And I know Ruth's Chris returned to theirs. He should return his. That's inexcusable. I wonder how many employees actually work for TB12. Well, that's a great question, Randy. You know... You've got to have people who are stocking those orders for those recovery pajama pants that you have. Yeah. Um, you know, the supplements that that are 50, about $50 plus. you got to have people who are packaging those. The people that are uh, cutting and uh, finding the perfect avocados and then cutting them mm-hmm. up and preparing it for the avocado ice cream. I mean, how many people does it take to do that? You're, em- you're employing some. Okay. I feel better about it now. <laughs> you're killing me, small. Okay, Randy. Sad story. But again, we have to share it here. So for the second time in less than six weeks, another worker has died while working on the construction site at the SoFi Stadium in L.A. I'm sure that Stan Kroenke came down to the site and consoled the other employees and probably went to the family's home and consoled his family and said, hey, whatever you need, we'll take care of it. We feel so bad about this because that's just the humanitarian that Stan is. Yes, he has a long history of just being a great can, guy to his employees. Can you, can you read the statement that he released? I'm sure that he released a statement um, professing no. his hmm. sadness. I'm looking at this article on cbssports.com. I'm not I'm not seeing a statement Randy from Stan Kroenke. Hmm. Well, I told everyone in the room today that I have not been able to understand the emotion since 2002. Oh, that kind of explains then having no statement from E. Stanley. Yeah, I don't like to call him Stan. No. Cronky. Enos. Enos. Enos the. Uh, Enos the. 
But, you know, so 35 days, we have two stories now. Uh, the first story we talked about back in June, um, we had a worker, unfortunately, tragically fall from the roof of the stadium and pass away. There's it's been... a bad sound. Randy. <laughs> Randy. I'm just saying, it is. We have 25 it's workers. Like, I, I was watching Die Hard yesterday. It's like when the when uh, John McClane throws the guy out of the vehicle or out of the building onto Al's police car. Confession. Just Never seen Die Hard. Oh, you got to watch it. And then there's another time at the end when Hans is falling. Spoiler alert. Movie yeah, came do out I need in to see it now, Randy? Yeah. I mean, I just told yeah. you I haven't seen it. Now you ruin it for uh, me. And uh, the, uh, the the deputy police chief says, boy, I hope that's not a hostage. It's the guy's falling down. So, and and uh, that was what I envisioned with the guy falling from the roof at SoFi Stadium. So thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. We know at least 25 workers have tested positive for COVID at the construction site. Mm-hmm. And then we get the news that another worker has died. It was a health issue. He was in distress. They called uh, local paramedics, the EMTs, and he passed away. Health-related cause. But it just seems like yeah. really tragic and ominous things are happening and around the stadium, Randy. Just the beginning. I oftentimes get stopped in Los Angeles and they'll go, are you that guy? You assholes go back to St. Louis. In his own words. I really wish that that was an actual cut because that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. I hate that I'm laughing during uh, the portion of the segment where we're talking about people tragically losing their lives, but that... That is some good work right there. That is fantastic. Well, without getting into all the details of it, I mean, dealing with people with lower incomes wasn't something I particularly <laughs> looked forward to, frankly. <laughs> frankly. Enos, in his own words. So, yeah, and again, just like the uh, the release, I think from the company, not the Rams, not the Chargers, but it was the, the company that's actually building the stadium, uh, they gave a thoughts and prayers, too. So yeah. we'll echo those. Okay, thoughts and prayers, absolutely. It's, it is very sad. It is. But what do you expect? It just seems like some bad things are happening over there. When you get in bed with snakes, what do you expect to happen? We'll see how that process works out. That's true. I was going to say strangled or bit. What would you go with first? Venom? Yeah, there's a lot of venom there. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Michelle. You got it, Randy. That's your Killing Me Smalls on 101 ESPN. Next up, we are going to head back to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and another employee of The Athletic, Cardinal Insider Mark Saxon, is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Athletic Inside the Athletic, where you can find smart, in-depth St. Louis sports coverage for the diehard fan. No ads, no pop-ups, just quality journalism from an all-star team of writers. Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. It is Jeff Fisher Day 7-9. Happy Jeff Fisher Day to you and to Jeff Sachs. Jeff Sachs. <laughs> Jeff, you are mediocre. You're superb at what you do. Mark Saxon of The Athletic is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Uh, good morning, sir. Good morning. I, you know, maybe seven and nine is kind of a good kind of barometer of my uh, performance <laughs> on the job at times. <laughs> no, you're great. Hilarious, by the way. Hey, Jeff Fisher. <laughs> you, you, you've covered uh, baseball for a long time. Does anything stick out to you as epically mediocre that you have covered? Like, this is the essence of 81 and 81? Oh, you mean like a team that I have covered? Team or uh, players or just anything that just fits the description of mediocre, like 
Jeff Fisher as a head coach? I, well, I mean, the, the immediate thing that jumps to mind is the Cardinals' offense last year. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was sort of very much middle of the pack and almost every number you looked at, if not a tick below. Um, you know, and, and both in power and on base percentage, a lot of things. So I guess that would jump out, but the team overall was good, and I think that's what people should keep their the the eye on is that, you know, it doesn't matter how many runs you score as long as you're not giving up a, a whole lot. Speaking of the offense, Mark, uh, we are hoping that the Cardinals have an uptick in offensive production. They've had a, an extended offseason working on, on their approach and talking about Jeff Albert's approach as well. Do you have confidence that we are going to see a, an improved Cardinals offense in 2020? Michelle, I have absolutely no idea. Um, you know, the shortened season, I think, plays into this because if guys get off to slow starts, you know, especially you would think of a younger player, but even with older players, I think with Matt Carpenter coming off a bad year, I think that's going to be crucial. If guys get off to a bad start in a 60-game season, I mean, you could see that spiral that people talk about, that downward spiral mentally happen much quicker than you normally would where, you know, a person might wait a month or more. You know, you may not see that. You may not see management have the appetite for a guy struggling. So, it all plays into it, but like in terms of what we'll see from the offense, you have to look at the facts on the ground, and they, were, they just didn't add any offense. You know, I know they got Brad Miller. I don't expect him to you know, hit the equivalent of 45 home runs. So we'll see. I, you know, I think what's in their favor strongly is that so many of those hitters in the lineup had down years career-wise, and, and you can't assume that what happened last year will happen again. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see a, a massive bounce back from Matt Carpenter, for example, who I don't think just forgot how to hit. So, you know, there are signs of optimism, but they're just signs at this point. Anyone who says they know would be lying. Mark Saxon of The Athletic with us on 101 ESPN. And I want to get into some of the things that Jack Flaherty said last night because I love how well-spoken and how thoughtful he is. But I want to start with this because you wrote about the, the idea of him talking about kneeling during the National Anthem. In 2020, is it going to matter? You're not going to have any fans. TV doesn't show the National Anthem anyway. I wonder if the, the anthem will even be played. But if it is, will anybody know if players are kneeling during the National Anthem? Yeah, that's a great point, and he was asked that, and he said, you know, it's quite possible. Randy, on that call, he also said, you know, he's part of this Players Alliance, which it sounds like is a somewhat informal group of, of I think, mostly black players, if not all black players, former black players. CeCe Sabathia is part of it, Cameron Mabin, some really respected guys. I think Curtis Granderson is involved. And they're planning something, Jack said. There, there's going to be some form of protest. It may not be, as you said, you know, identical to what Colin Kaepernick did. Maybe it'll be just after the anthem when TV does return. But they're aware of um, shifting dynamics, and, and they'll adjust. I think the point is, you know, Jack Flaherty is saying things, and I was thinking about this last night, Randy. I actually wanted to get your thoughts on this. I I don't ever remember a Cardinals player being as outspoken as Jack Flaherty. I don't remember them ever really having this type of a person who will say his feelings on matters, you know, kind of irregardless of the consequences. And then it sort of morphed in my mind as I don't know if it ever would have been tolerated by it, Cardinals it wasn't. management. It, it was Tommy yeah. Pham and it wasn't. <laughs> right. And so, and then if you go back to the 80s, if you go back to Lou Brock, you know, what he went through, and he, I don't know that he ever expressed any of that. And I, I just think that's interesting. That's a big part of it is management's open to us. 
and also society's openness to it and our and our region's openness mm-hmm. to it. So I think that's all involved here. It's not just Jack being Jack. It's Jack feeling empowered to to, to speak his mind on these matters. Mark, we, we're seeing him continue these national conversations about race in America, but we also saw him be very vocal about the players union and the owners and the issues that were at hand there. So he's been vocal about a lot of things moving forward, not as you said, irregardless of the consequences. Do you think that there's been some sort of shift in his feeling that he that he can do this or that he wants to speak out because he he wasn't a quiet player before, but we had never really seen it to this level where he's speaking out so strongly and so consistently on so many issues. Well, Michelle, I think that gets to the culture of baseball. When you're when you're a rookie, you're just not expected to really offer your opinion on anything. And I think he was cognizant of that. I think what's fascinating, I don't know if you all read uh, Howard Bryant's piece on, on Bruce Maxwell, but Bruce Maxwell did that as a rookie. I think people sometimes mm-hmm. forget that. That was extraordinary. You know, that, that was a very unique personality to be willing to do that. And I think part of what you're seeing with Jack, my impression with him, you know, he's a Southern California guy. He was raised by a very, you know, open-minded mother who is, you know, encourages him to to be himself and speak his mind. You know, I've met Eileen Flaherty. um, And I think think that, again, he, he feels empowered to it because... The game is now allowing this to happen for the first time in, in my entire career being around the game, which is a pretty long time now. I'm, I'm an old dude. Um, you, know, no, you know, no black players would have said some of the stuff that they're saying now because they would have been worried about losing their jobs or if they're a great player, not losing their jobs but being traded. And so, you know, it, it really it speaks to where we are as a society and where we are in the, in the game, you know, just to have, you know, every executive in baseball virtually stand up with a Black Lives Matter sign, I mean, that was extraordinary in itself, you mm-hmm. know, just in terms of where the game has gone. Hey, Mark, let's talk a little bit about Carlos before we let you go. We, uh, we had the chance to talk to him last night and to Mike Shilton, John Mozalock, and I want to know if you share my impression that everybody seems to be on the same page with him being on a path towards the starting rotation rather than the closer's role. Yeah, no question. But what we've seen with Carlos is the past can diverge pretty quickly. Um, it's really going to come down to just how his shoulder holds up. You know, like we always want to talk about whether it's a motivational factor, whether it's this or that. 99% of the time, in my experience with pitchers, it's the physical aspect is going to determine what they end up doing. So let's see how he holds up. One of the fascinating things was him saying on that call, Randy, that he threw some kind of simulated game in the Dominican and threw 95 pitches. I'm not sure they want him to be quite that ramped up. <laughs> but I think that speaks to his incredible desire to return to this rotation, and the team seems open to it right now. And frankly, if Carlos Martinez is right, there's absolutely no doubt he needs to be in that rotation, and him with Jack Flaherty, 1-2 at the top of the rotation could be deadly. So if that ends up working out, that's a huge bonus for this team. Mark, we talked about Carlos Martinez, certainly an X-factor this season. You mentioned Matt Carpenter bouncing back. That's another one. But in your opinion, who's another player that could be a major X-factor in the 60-game setup for the Cardinals to have success this year? You know, it's amazing how often, you know, how rarely we talk about him. But the guy, I mean, the best hitter is Paul Goldschmidt. The best player on this team, without a doubt, I think, is Paul Goldschmidt. And we have seen some slippage in some of his important numbers, if you look at it, over the last two or three years with with the strikeouts ticking up, the walks ticking down, the power maybe a tick down. So 
just seeing whether he can maybe take a stride forward is absolutely crucial for this team because you, you need that you need that real threat in the middle of your lineup. And I think some of the frustration with this offense was there was some depth, but there just wasn't you know that impact you know in the middle of the lineup. Paul Goldschmidt did not have a bad year last year, but if you compare it with some of his years three, four years ago, where he was top two, three, four MVP, you know, year after year, a little different. So absolutely, I would say Paul Goldschmidt is the man who everyone's looking for to kind of do Paul Goldschmidt things. Mark Saxon, always good to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. We'll talk soon. All right. Good talking to you guys. Take care. See you later. That's our Cardinal Insider from The Athletic, the one and only Mark Saxon on 101 ESPN on this Jeff Fisher Day 2020. By the way, we do appreciate uh, a text who said uh, he's working from home and said, uh, I'm going to have to turn you guys off. I'm trying to work from home, but I've been laughing too hard since 7 o'clock. Keep up the good work. We all need more laughter in our lives these days. And that's what we try to provide for you. Well, thank you for listening, first and foremost. Second, I'm glad now that we can laugh at Jeff Fisher and and the record and that time Mm. period here, because at the time it was not very funny. No, it wasn't. We, we were not laughing then. We were not laughing then, so it's good that we can find some humor in it now. And from the 636, I just wasted 10 minutes on Coach Jeff Fisher. He is delusional, as we already knew, but they love him in Nashville. He was just put in the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame, so wow. congratulations. He's just racking up the awards. So, I mean, a day named after him, a sports award show named after him, Hall of Fame in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Things are coming up roses for Jeff Fisher. He, or I and, guess it's a mediocre flower. Yeah. Daffodils. <laughs> Things are coming up tulips. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, daffodils. He and Bob Greasy, absolute proof that you can be mediocre and get into a Hall of Fame. All right. Should I go? Uh, I'm not going to. I'm going to say that Bob Greasy's mediocre. I'm going to give him that benefit. Okay. All right. Danny Mac coming up as we cross it over towards scoopswithdannymac.com on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Heading down the stretch of Character and Smallman, getting ready for scoops with Danny Mac coming up here on 101 ESPN at the top of the hour. And it's always good to see our friend Dan McLaughlin. Good to be with you guys. How are you? I'm watching the MLS. Look at that uh, complex. That looks pretty cool, doesn't it? On television there. A lot looks of like fields. Like Park. Yeah. Well groomed. Manicured, beautiful. Sports is back, baby. Team sports are back. Yeah, they yeah. are. Kind of cool seeing that, isn't it? I like it. Yeah. And we're on our way with baseball. We didn't do our countdown here. It's, uh, what's 24 minus 9? Quick. 15? 15 days. Yeah. 15, 15 days. days until we have baseball back. Wow. We're hoping. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I, I told we have a weekend coming up. Let's make sure yeah. people are working. Michelle asked me today. I said I'm uh, my confidence level is at ninety five percent for starting the season. Yeah, I, you know what? I uh, after the weekend, I, I just thought so many guys may be frustrated. I th- well, I'm sure everybody was frustrated with how that was handled, but you didn't hear guys opt out. You didn't, mm-hmm. you know, and they stuck with it. So give them credit. And looks like they're smoothing the issues over with the testing and making sure that the the tests get handled and you're not hearing about as many positive tests I guess at least I haven't maybe you guys have I haven't read about them so you know and then you get into the season and the travel and you know you, you just try to get through it and have a season see if it works 
You would think that what happened over the 4th of July weekend, at least from a summer camp perspective, will hopefully be the Camping World. Thank you, Randy. Will hopefully be the biggest speed bump that they have to endure. Now, when they have to travel. Yeah, that'll be the next one. That'll be the next one. But to your point, I thought, okay, if they can get over this, you know that baseball's going to find a way to streamline this. So hopefully for the next 15 days, at least, it'll just be smooth sailing. Right. And and then you just start talking about roster construction now. Mm -hmm. Now you, you start thinking, okay, if you're a Cardinal fan, Martinez is in camp, and then you start thinking, okay, where's Gallegos, and how does he fit in? Mexico. And, yeah, can we get him in camp? Can he get healthy? Where is he? Has he been throwing? And then you think about Alex Reyes, and you're going to have 30 guys, mm-hmm. so how do you construct that, and what arms are available? And um, You guys are telling me off the air, you think Martinez is in the rotation, huh? That's what, in hearing what Mike Schilt had to say last night and what Mo had to say and the approach that Carlos Martinez has taken, said he threw 95 pitches in seven innings last week in the Dominican. It really well, sounds then he, like... Then he's in the rotation. Yeah, it sounds like everybody is on board with him starting. Yeah, and I would have said for sure coming out of spring training, regular spring training, he was definitely in the rotation. There was like no question about it. So... If that's the case, then Kim goes to your bullpen. That's another lefty. I wonder if he closes. I was thinking that. Um, I, I made this point with Ribs and, and BK yesterday. When Sung Wan Oh was here, I thought part of his uh, effectiveness coming out of the pen. Now he had really good stuff. Don't get me wrong. And he 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 would hide the ball, and he had he had he definitely had good pitches. I mean, he had good stuff, but. I thought part of his effectiveness was the fact that the league hadn't seen him. And the league is, across the board, guys rely on, I I just, number one, you're seeing inside the division, you see each other so much, 18 times. Um, And then it's year after year after year if you're in the league a, a long time. But also, you rely on video. But there's nothing like being in the box and seeing a guy. Just, you know, you're in person. I think having said that, um, there, when I was watching Kim in spring training, there was uncomfortable at bats against him. I mean, really, he was making guys look foolish, and I think that that could be a benefit to him. And he has an ability to get right-handers out too. So, having said all that, then maybe there is a a possibility that he could close. I I just like a lefty in the rotation, especially when you think like if you're going to play the Reds and you could set you know the schedule now and you could set him up potentially to face the Reds more so than other teams. Maybe there's a benefit to doing that if he's in your rotation. I, I don't know. I mean, you get creative with things, but we'll see. We'll see how they want to play it. I don't know if it's a cultural thing or if it's a Korean baseball thing, but when I've watched Korean pitchers, I don't see them get rattled either. Even when Chan Ho Park allowed the second Grand Slam to Tatis, no. he didn't look like he was rattled. Well, and this guy's got personality. Yeah. I, that's the unfortunate part of not having fans this year. He has a fun. He's fun. Mm-hmm. He's fun to be around. Um, he's kind of funny, too, when mm-hmm. he was with his interpreter and he met with the media. So that's um, the personality of him kind of hopping off the mound and doing some of his mannerisms. Now, you will, you'll see some of that, I guess. But you do feed off the crowd, so we're not going to see yeah. that this year. But that's the unfortunate part of this. I would imagine it's you must be really funny to be funny through an interpreter. Absolutely. <laughs> true. Good point. You know, Sun Oh was the stone Buddha. Yes. He wasn't very funny. Right. The final you know? boss. But uh, Eugene was funny. I like being around Eugene. He yeah. was cool. I wonder where Eugene is now. I know there's a story uh, with him. Yeah, he's Matt Williams' interpreter that's in right. the KBO. That's right. Yeah. And Matt Williams is managing over there. Yeah. Uh, 
Danny, before we wrap up here, we need to talk to you because you are a caring, nice person. No, I'm not. Very mean, Randy. Well, no, you aren't. But we, Carriker and Smallman, are just completing Jeff Fisher Day on Uh, 7-9. Yeah. Which is fun, but it's probably not the most caring or nice thing to do. So we want your opinion on Jeff Fisher Day. Should we have done it or did we make a mistake? Well, after the Rams left, uh, why not? I'm okay with it. By the way, did you see what I sent you? Uh, Yeah, we talked about it. It's sad, isn't it? it Now, I I didn't read the full story. I just saw the headline I sent it to you. Was that a death because of the coronavirus? Or was it a death because someone had an accident on site? It was a health issue. EMTs and paramedics were called. They haven't confirmed it's COVID-related, even though there were a lot of So for our listeners, if you're just tuning in, it was a worker on the the, uh, construction construction site. Of the SoFi Stadium in California. And um, even though there has been a lot of workers who tested positive for COVID there, I I believe it was 25 And they never shut it down, right? I believe they have not. Right. Um, So this was a health-related death. They have not confirmed if it's COVID or COVID, not COVID-related yet. Wow. And yesterday we were talking about how we would spend a half a billion dollars. And one of the things we talked about was getting the naming rights and renaming that stadium KS Stadium, which could be Carriker and Smallman or could be. Cronky sucks. Cronky sucks. Yeah. I think that's a good good naming rights name. I I don't think it could have gone any worse for him. (laughs) Could not have. (laughs) Honestly, I know you follow this, Randy. Yeah. Um, what's what's the bill now? How, what's it up to? Uh, they're up at about a little over five. I think it's five point one billion. And so it'll finish at what? They're basically done. So it'll be five point one. So how much over the uh, original cost? I believe when they originally started, it was one point eight. I think maybe two point eight. I'm not sure. in, in, in the one point five yeah. range. I think I, I think on that first day they might have said one point eight. So 2.8, wow. 3.8, 4.8. Yeah, so a little more than, well, almost triple. And the league will kick in. The loan is going to be $500 million. Wow. But wait till the league has to kick in after he pays his legal fees. Mm-hmm. They are not going to be happy. No. They're going to be unhappy, and it's going to be glorious. And in terms of selling tickets, because they, they were going to have a, a concert, correct, this summer. Right. As a matter of fact, it was going to be in a couple of weeks. They were going to have two. Taylor Swift was going to open it up. And then Kenny Chesney. And then preseason games. Right. And no, well, right now they're scheduled for one preseason game between the Rams and the Chargers. And um, and how were the Chargers sales? Well, they weren't very good, but neither team was selling very well. They weren't well. selling out, right? Oh, not even no. close. But the Chargers... I'm not following. I, no, I don't care. The, so. the charges you can buy a hundred. <laughs> yeah. Charges you can buy a hundred dollar PSL. Uh, with the Rams, I think the lowest PSL is two thousand, and you have to buy a pair, obviously. So you're paying four grand right off the bat for the PSL, and then really expensive tickets. And then how there about are plenty a, of tickets available? And how about a suite? You know those the, prices? Yeah, it, I believe it was for a twelve seat suite. It was two hundred and fifty thousand dollars per PSL per seat. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so two, uh, what, $3 million. And were they selling those? I don't know. Holy smokes. There was a great piece uh, that ESPN.com did a couple months ago about um, how sales were not as they anticipated, mm-hmm. obviously, and even better, the icing on the cake, the infighting between, between the, the Chargers and read the that, Chargers. That, yeah, mm-hmm. so that the Chargers were selling way low, so they yeah. basically were outpricing or lowering the market. So if you were just right. a casual football fan, you're saying, well, I'll go to a... 
Charger game to go see my football team or just to go watch pro football. Right. And here's the the great thing for the Chargers. Here, here's why the Chargers will never, ever land in St. Louis, for those of you that dream about that. The Chargers' rent at that stadium for a 30-year lease is $1 a year. The Chargers get, for everything that happens there, every football game, Rams or Chargers football game, every Final Four, every Olympics event, 15% of everything generated inside that stadium. <laughs> nice deal. Yeah. That's a, I mean, and honestly. And they didn't have to pay a dime in the construction costs. And then, so f- explain this to me too. And for the fans out there, because I like doing this, because <laughs> I know some of the answers, but I just say to cover it, explain this to me. So, um, and Jerry Jones then teamed oh, up. Yeah. So get get into the, a little bit so of this Jerry one Jones too. So Jerry Jones and the Yankees owned a, owned a company called Legends. Right. And that company is not only going to do concessions for the stadium, but they're also, Jerry employs the people and his company sells the luxury suites. So for every, if they sell that suite for $3 million, Jerry Jones is going to get a commission on that. For a sell that's sold in that stadium by the Chargers or the Rams, Jerry Jones' company gets a cut. So that was his vested interest in going to L.A.? Yes, it was. He's making a ton of money off so, of that. And he, by the way, he's in on Vegas, too, with yeah. Mark Davis. How did he get on that one? Because he's buddies with Mark. He was the only friend that Al Davis had among owners in the NFL was Jerry Jones. Incredible. So, That's incredible. Yeah, he, he runs the league. He's the shadow commissioner. Wow. I don't even know if he's the shadow commissioner he's anymore. He's just the commissioner, <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. We're looking forward to scoops with Danny Mac. Oh, I got to take a breath there. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. Going to talk a little virus. Instant, I call them instant offense. So I want to get an update on what... Do you guys like li- listening to Rick Lehman? I do. He's great. Um, I want to get into, you know, we, we got soccer back. So I want to get his thoughts on that. But I also want to get his thoughts on... So the Ivy League is canceled. Mm-hmm. All right. Does he honestly feel that football can come back, whether it's pro or college? So we're going to get into a little bit of that. Now, baseball's coming back, but also... What his thoughts on a little bit on schools too, you know? So what he's seeing on the data among doctors with kids, so kids going back to school and just you know initially kids playing fall sports, high school, that kind of thing. Great question so, that we haven't asked enough of. Yeah. So um, for instance, like my kids are going back now as it's opened up, and they are playing soccer. They're playing golf. I'm not seeing a lot of social distancing. I'm seeing some, but you know, just things like that in our everyday walks of life, those kind of things. So we'll get into that a little bit. Obviously cover some of the things going on with baseball and then some text uh, questions, messages, whatever we get. If if you're a good golfer and, like, you hit the ball in the short grass, inevitably, if you're playing with me, you're going to be socially distanced. (laughs) Sometimes you got to have a foot wedge to make sure you are away from other people, Randy. It's just you got to do it, you know. It's okay to do that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I, I have no that problem with you doing that. You. Yeah, you can do that too, okay, Michelle. It, I have no problem with that. Looking forward to the show. Looking forward to it too. Uh, what a fabulous job, and it's so fun to be reunited with our producer engineer for the day, Mike Ryder. Thank you. Fabulous work as always. Michelle, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. This was fun, Randy. And Mike Ryder, the opposite of Jeff, Jeff Fisher. Clearly elite. Oh, Mike doesn't totally. talk, I, I see. He oh. wears a mask and does not want to talk. Yeah, He just he nods his head. Yeah, yeah. He's the best. And we wish you a happy Jeff Fisher Day for all of us. Thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a a part of the show. It is. (laughs) Till tomorrow at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis.
That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.